Tune in to the Neil Prendeville Show weekdays from 9 a.m. on Cork's Red FM. Hey, it's Kira. Tune in to Saturday Breakfast on Red FM from 7 a.m. and wake up your weekend with music, chats, and all that's happening in Cork. That's Saturday Breakfast on Red FM with me, Kira Revens. And the very sad story of uh, the death of Alan McLaughlin makes many of the papers this morning. A lot of them on the front pages, and rightly so, because he made an awful lot of people happy in his sporting and soccer career, and of course uh, was responsible for his goal, for the goal that um, got us into World Cup '94 uh, in the USA uh, against Northern Ireland, and some lovely photographs and tributes of him. He uh, lost his battle, and he had a tough old battle. In fairness, he kept coming back, all sorts of different treatments. He'd make some kind of a recovery, and then cancer would reappear again in other parts of his body. It was very, very sad. Uh, and the football legend uh, Alan McLaughlin lost his cancer battery, cancer battle yesterday at the age of 54. So that's a front page of making the mirror today. Yanks for the memories is the front page of the Sun today. Big beaming smiles on his face and proud to wear the the green jersey. They call him the Green Giant, the hero whose goal got us to USA '94. Passes away to cancer. Front page of the Star today. So uh, yesterday, anonymous. You know, our, our thoughts are with his, his family and all that knew him and play with, played with him. Uh, actually, there's an interesting uh, weather-related story making the papers also today. I don't know whether you got an opportunity to see it, but apparently there was a, a humdinger of a meteor shower over Ireland last night. There will be another chance if you missed it, because it's back again tonight and the night after and so on and so forth. So better look to the, look to the skies if you like meteor shower. I'm not, I can't tell you exactly what time. I don't know, but they're saying after midnight. As the song says, after midnight, I'm going to let it all hang out. There's a, a lot of uh, COVID-related issues, but you know, I noticed this morning some of the newspapers don't have COVID headlines on the front pages, and that's kind of interesting. It's a while since we had that. But Donegal apparently uh, is a bit of a basket case when it comes to COVID positives, and apparently the guard it's so bad in Donegal that the guards have set up a hotline to allow the public to inform them about breaches of uh, COVID-19 particularly with regards to illegal parties and social gatherings. I don't know, is it border-related or what? Or why is Donegal sticking out from the rest of the country? But one thing you notice uh, is the amount of people going back to work. And certainly lots more went back to construction yesterday. And that means that uh, there's going to be drop after drop after drop in the pup claimants. So for the first time, it's dropped below below 400,000 because, by and large, because construction is back. And you'll see another drop in those on pop payments, of course, in the coming weeks from the, you know, maybe back end of May and then, of course, most definitely in early June. Uh, and apparently we're on, well on the way with regards to getting a good clatter of, of vaccines. There's an order in for 10 million extra Pfizer jabs, not today or tomorrow or next month, but over the next two years. I mean, it's interesting because you see this morning in the UK, they're offering third jabs now. I know. I mean, it's it's amazing how fast they went through uh, the pro, the uh, the process. But the over 50s are to wa- be offered their third jab. And that's inevitable, I suppose, with regards to uh, people getting winter jabs and boosts, a bit like flu. Uh, meanwhile, uh, there are those that are refusing it. And uh, there's an interesting story in the Times with regards to HSE staff who were refusing to take the COVID vaccines, they may well be moved to different jobs, particularly healthcare workers who face redeployment uh, if they don't go for the jab. Uh, and uh, a lot of people then are taking it under protest because of their jobs. And I noticed in the UK that some people 
who have to take it for their jobs are taking the vaccine but refusing to have their children vaccinated. So this who will and who won't isn't really exclusive to Ireland. They're having the same kind of questions and, and stories in the UK. But because of the state of our health service, front page of the examiner tells us that there are far too many under 65-year-olds who are now living in nursing homes because there is a lack of state aid to help them live independently. So they are being forced into nursing homes um, at a young, young age, some under 65, some a lot younger. Uh, and there's a lot of court reports making the papers today. There's an interesting story of a fella who, a man who caused multiple fractures to another man's face after they went drinking together. He told the guards that he hit him, that he assaulted him with only 60% of his power. So that's an interesting one. And then um, far too many people, it's alleged, are waking up with people standing over them in the bed or, or stories like that. And there's a story in the echo of a young mother of three told a judge and a jury that she woke at six o'clock in the morning to see a man tapping a knife against her leg. Uh, and she testified that he later threatened to kill her. So that's a story in the court course to do, uh, today. And there's, there's also other ones um, where a court case didn't actually happen, where the jury, which was sworn in to hear the case against two brothers accused of different assaults, damage, burglary-type charges, allegations of being armed with a machete and things like that. That... Um, trial collapsed because the prosecution's case collapsed in Cork. The reason why, uh, one of the witnesses in the case said, I don't want to give any evidence in court today. Um, it was the case uh, against Alan and Jason Quilligan. Uh, and that case was withdrawn when one of the uh, witnesses didn't want to give evidence. Papers also talk today of South Dock. One day it's on, one day it's off, one day it's on again. And then they have all sorts of different uh, ways of rolling out South Dock. But apparently it's going to be restored, the full service. Uh, so here we go again. It's a bit like musical chairs, that story. Uh, and then you heard in the news this morning with regards to cheap booze, which means that many people in border counties, if they weren't doing so already, will certainly be flocking over the border. What it means now is that they've got this minimum price. It means that the uh, cheapest now that anybody can sell you a can of beer is a euro thirty two. The cheapest that anybody can sell you a bottle of wine is seven seventy five. And the cheapest that anybody can sell you a bottle of whiskey or vodka and gin, depending on the brand, I suppose, but the cheapest is twenty euro seventy one cent. They could have better picked a better time to be looking at price increases, couldn't they? I mean, what would the harm have been waiting another six months? Uh, do you really believe? Do you really believe that uh, an affordable house price is four hundred and fifty thousand? Get up the yard. But that's what they're saying. Um, I don't know whether they're living in cuckoo land, that that would be an affordable house price in Dublin, 450 grand. How do we get to that? But it'll certainly be another few years at least before the housing targets are, are actually hit. They're saying in the front, and this is an example of a non-COVID frontline store, front page story. It's the mail this morning saying 2025 before the housing target is actually hit. But... We've heard all of those stories before. They never meet the targets. They just never do, never do. Meanwhile, the big international companies, whether here in Ireland or with bases across Europe, continue to pay little or no tax. And we know of the corporate arrangements that we have with regards to taxation of American multinationals in Ireland. The latest one to come into um, uh, interview is Amazon, who turned over 44 billion in sales. Uh, last year, 44 billion, and they paid zero corporation tax. Well, many Irish and European countries uh, pay corporation tax. Uh, here, I think it's about 12.5%. Other countries is higher than that. You also pay PRSI, you pay universal social charges, you pay VAT, and all sorts of stuff. 
those rules don't seem to apply to the big uh, multinationals that come in from America. Zero corporation tax. Uh, and they did a they did some research in the Times UK uh, where they're saying that social media now is no worse than television for um, the mental health of teenagers. Uh, it's no more harmful to teenagers' mental health than television was for young people in the 1990s. I mean, you'd have to sit down, really, and think about that, wouldn't you? Are they suggesting uh, that the bullying and the trolling of today was there in the 90s? Or, or that the violence or the weaponry been used or the gang culture was there in the 90s? The same amount that it is now? I don't think so. And then... Everybody loves a good doggy story. The Times UK um, says that the most aggressive dogs are the smallest dogs. <laughs> uh, and the least aggressive are the big fellas. The likes of the Labradors and the Golden Retrievers and uh, the Staffordshire Bull Terriers, interestingly. Uh, the Jack Russell Terrier. Uh, how can that be? I mean, aren't Jack Russell Terriers tiny little things? Um, and then they talk about whether the bark is worse than the bite. I may come back to it a little bit later on this morning. If you were ever bitten by a dog, yo, though, you'll be very apprehensive of all dogs, all shapes and sizes. And you know how Line of Duty ended on Sunday night? Well, the Mail this morning talks about other TV shows that had shocking bad finishes. Um, and I have some texts on this later on, but they are saying... It's all about the art of the ending, how a show ends. It's so important and you can get it so wrong. And the ones that got it wrong, they're saying, are Game of Thrones. I think we'll all agree with that. It was awful. Um, the Undoing, you know, the Nicole Kidman one. Great show. And then no real big twist. Kind of a dumb ending to it. House of Cards. Just... Like somebody turned the lights off on that one uh, and lost. I think lost went on for so long that we all just lost the will to live. Uh, the Walking Dead's another one, actually. They just don't seem to know when to stop these shows. But the ones that did hit the money, um, certainly two of them, they're saying. The Sopranos, which is kind of interesting because you don't really know What's going on at the end of The Sopranos with Journey and the door opening in the in the restaurant? But they're saying that that was a hit with regards to the ending and Breaking Bad. Um, and again, these are two shows, Breaking Bad and Sopranos, you don't actually know. It kind of left the door right open and bo- wide open in both of them for a return. I mean, I don't think that Walt actually died. I actually don't think he died in Breaking Bad. Look up at the sky, eyes open. He looked alive to me. Uh, and God knows what happened at the end of Sopranos. But anyway, there you have it. The hits and the misses. Lines open on one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. The Neil Prenderville Show. And just on Line of Duty, text from yesterday. Do you not have anything better to talk about than Line of Duty? No. I spoke about a lot of other things besides Line of Duty this morning, yesterday morning. But I thought it was worth talking about. I mean, everybody was watching it. Ah, lads, the final episode of Line of Duty was shocking. I saw better episodes throughout the series than that one. I was very disappointed. Uh, That's from Margot. The final episode of Line of Duty is a tin of Murphy's and an hour of my life I'll never get back. (laughs) Well, so, Paddy, did I just hear you suggest that you would devote today's program to Line of Duty? Is that not a little self-indulgent? You must have nothing else prepared after the long weekend. (laughs) 
Jesus, Mary, Joseph, and wee donkey Neil on the final episode of Line of Duty. I really think in today's world, you can't please anybody. I thought the ending was very well thought out. As we all know that Buckles is not H, but is being used as a scapegoat. He has no other choice but to say he is H. The fourth man or woman who is corrupt as they come is still out there and will never be found as crime will go on for as long as we're alive and the ending showed that no matter how hard AC12 try they can't stop it Uh, and there's always someone higher up to make sure they don't my money would have been on Kate Fleming to be H Uh, Dot Cotton who was the caddy uh, couldn't believe how well Kate could lie and keep a straight face so I would recommend to all the moaners relax, sit down, watch the episode again and you'll see where I'm coming from, says Sharon. Well, I thank you for your texts, but I'll pass on watching it again, if you don't mind. Yesterday, we moved on to other things besides, um, you know, issues involving line of duty. And we had great fun talking to people about their summer jobs from years gone by. I have a lot of texts on that, which I'll get to. But Seamus took to the streets of Cork yesterday morning to talk to people about their summer work experiences, their best and worst jobs. I worked in a local shop in Bishopstown, a supermarket. Yeah, and we did. I did it until I went to uh, college. I'm one of a large family, so all my sisters went there before me. So we uh, we we got to know the business by we were about 13 up to about 19. So it was great fun. Yeah, yeah. He was a lovely man, and he, he used to always take us out for meals and things like that. You know, to the staff, and we we were very young. It was the first time we ever went to hotels, and so it was lovely. Happy memories, very nice memories. Originally, I'm from Poland, so we were traveling, you know, for example, to France or Spain for, you know, pick the strawberries or something like this. So, yeah, it was popular in Poland at these times. And how did you find it? You know, for the for the teenager or young man, it's okay. Fair money, you know. I did, many years ago, yeah. Oh, and what was it? Uh, picking potatoes. Um, and I worked in Middleton Hospital from 14 every summer until I was 17. And how did you find it? Loved it. Times have changed. Things are very different. We were happier with less. Um, You were just happy to be out and be working, getting a few bob at the end of the week. Uh, Very different now. Yeah. I used to work every summer from age of 14 until I got adult, of course. And what did you work as? I was mining children. Did you enjoy it? Some parts I did, some parts I didn't. <laughs> uh, obviously, when you're a child, you not the first thing, but when you're born poor, you know, you have to work for it. <laughs> and did you give that, some of that money up to your parents then? or My parents was very gentle. They, they usually let me spend it, but I spend it on school stuff usually because the September come and I knew they never had enough money, so... Usually I spend it on myself for useful things. I had a babysitting job um, from half state until half five, five days a week, and I got £40 for it. And when I got that, half it went to mum, and the other half was kept, and that was a lot of money back then. At the time, you know, you were bringing in money into the house, and it was needed at home. You know, it wasn't as if there was money floating around like there is nowadays for young adults in the family. I'm just looking at my 27-year-old daughter as I speak. 
Um, but yeah, the money was extremely needed at that time. No, I never had a summer job, but um, I did babysitting here and there when I was, what, 15, what 16, 17? Yeah. Um, every now and then for the neighbours. That was, that was it, really. Was it? And there was never any money handed up either. Oh, oh. I don't know anything about starting something like that. There'll be words spoken later. Or picking spots out in Bellamalo and picking onions and stuff like that, you know. Bits and pieces, helping farmers out country by you know. And how did you find it? Great, great. A few pounds was handy, <laughs> you know. Grants didn't mind it at all. Bellamalo, very good crowd, good, good crowd to work for, as a matter of fact, you know. Mostly waitressing, cafe work during the summertime. Yeah. And how did you find it? Did you think it was it the, the best time of your life, or was it the worst time? Or no, I enjoyed it, but it was different. That I was allowed, I was twelve when I had my first summer job. Like you wouldn't get a twelve-year-old getting a job now, you know. But I, I loved it. Hi ho! Everybody lied about their age back then. Incidentally, we all lied. I mean, you just shaved years off your age, and off you went and did a bit of work. I mean, I, I remember gigging in the carousel. I think it was uh, maybe sixteen, going on seventeen. Uh, I think they thought that I was a law student in UCC at the time. I was never in law in, in college in my life, uh, and uh, the carousel like started at eleven at night and gigged away until three in the morning. Uh, I mean, it was a lot more kind of laissez-faire about ages way back in the day. Uh, but anyway, best and worst summer jobs. Uh, a lot of texts on these as well. I love today's show. This is from yesterday. I worked in Centra on Washington Street. Happy days. On the going And the goings-on were unreal. You'd see all sorts as they head off on their nights out, says Greg, well, you would, in the Centra on Washington Street. My first job was on O'Donovan's on Princess Street. Every Saturday when in school. I was talking about O'Donovan's yesterday. Uh, I worked full-time during the midterm and the holidays. There would be queues all down Princess Street in the run-up to Christmas all day, every day. I'm convinced every person in Munster bought their turkey, their ham, their spiced beef for Christmas Day on O'Donovan's, in O'Donovan's on Princess Street. Happy days, says Daniel. Yes, and cheese. Loads and loads of cheese. Um, you had the girl on from the Marys. I wonder if you could ask her to share some pictures of the funfair from back in the day. I'd say she must have some gems, certainly from Piper's funfair. Well, if she sends me some, I'll share them. In the 1980s, I used to cycle from Douglas to Carrigaline when I was 15 to meet my cousin. We would then cycle to Ballygarvan to pick spuds for a tenner a day and a good healthy home cooked meal for lunch. Good times, says Keith. Hard work though. People had to thin beat on their knees before they were actually given hose. Uh, they put bags around their knees to protect their knees and themselves. I worked in the Glen Eagle Hotel in the early 90s as a teenager collecting glasses. I got to see Joe Dolan, Brendan Grace, Red Hurley and the Wolf Tones over and over. I can tell you it was the same jokes and audience rebuttals week in, week out. <laughs> I worked in a pub on Sunday mornings in 1983. I remember when they used to close for dinner. Yeah, close in the afternoon. I was collecting 12 glasses. Um, I got two pounds for the gig. Um, actually, I was 12 collecting glasses, I should have said, as opposed to collecting 12 glasses. Uh, I was weak for myself and my two quid. At 15, I even started pulling pints. And then I was getting a fiver. I worked there till I was uh, up until I was 30 part-time. Well, I had a full-time job as well, said so Jackie. A lot of people did that, actually. They worked in the day and had part-time pub jobs at night, supplementing the income and 
helping to save up for a mortgage and what have you. Anyway, there's loads of those texts. Keep them coming. And I'll read out some more across the morning. Back after the break. The Neil Prenderville Show on Twitter at Neil Red FM. I chat with Linda Foley. She's a wedding celebrant who hasn't been doing a whole lot of work, as we know, for the last year or so. Linda, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? I'm well. Actually, it's a lovely story. A great photograph making uh, the star today. Let me just tell you about it. Give you an example of how, how people feel kind of, uh, you know, outside the loop. It is a newly wedded couple. Her name is Lorraine Halpin. His name is Anthony Moore. She's got the most magnificent wedding dress on her. And because nobody really got to see her wedding dress, because there was so few at the wedding, they decided to go shopping in their gear yesterday. She went into the supermarket, right, with her wedding dress on, with the veil and the mask, and she's picking up milk and a few bags of lemons just to show it off. And apparently everybody loved the sight of a bride. So I know how you feel when you feel frustrated about being not able to marry more people, right? Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, this last year, the wedding industry has been decimated, really. I mean, it's just been wiped out. I mean, they're estimating um, the industry itself lost 75% to 80% of its business. Um, And the recovery is going to be tough, obviously. You know, I'm very lucky I get to work with fantastic professionals, videographers, photographers, and then obviously there's the bands and, and everything else that feeds into that, the bakers, you know, the dress ladies, the alterations. So it's been a hard hit for everybody. Now I'm lucky this isn't my, you know, the wedding celebrant business isn't my sole source of income. But for my colleagues in the industry, it has been, you know, there are some couples who are in business together and that's their whole family that they've been trying to support that has been wiped out. I know and it. Yeah, I've, I know it. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And I've seen some of my suppliers even, you know, you know, pivoting and going into other lines of work just to make ends meet. And Lots of people think, did. Aer Lingus yeah, pilots absolutely. are working on farms and driving tractors. And, and you're talking about hotels, photographers, food suppliers, bands, DJs, um, you know, Exactly. There's so many marquee suppliers for outdoors, stuff like that. Absolutely. They all feed into a, a wedding day. And sometimes, you know, if you're not in the industry, you mightn't see everything that actually goes into it. What does a celebrant, what does a celebrant do? I mean, do you, do you, do you marry everybody everywhere except in a church, is it? Uh, well, I'm an independent wedding celebrant, so I'm not affiliated with any of the, you know, beliefs as such. So yeah. the spiritualists and the humanists, they all have their own beliefs, which are great. And I, I support a lot of those beliefs, but not all of them. So what so do you do? What, what, what do you do? I'm an independent celebrant. So I did my training with the Irish Institute of Celebrants in Dublin. And we are independent. We're basically your day, your way. This, it's, it's whatever you want. So couples who don't adhere to a belief system don't have to go down that route. Right. You know, in Ireland, we've been, we've been restricted in Ireland for so long with our options of, you know, what we can do with our weddings. And so if you were marrying a couple, say you were marrying me in the morning, um, yes. where would I get married? You, with us, you can get married wherever you want, whenever you want. We don't do the legal side of things on the day, so that's taken care of. The office, the legal are done. And then that leaves us free to do whatever you want. We've, um, myself and my colleague, uh, in I Do Marry You, Kathy Bradley, she's had weddings on a beach. Um, there's been weddings at midnight in, in a venue, when that's when they wanted to have it on New Year's Eve. We are not restricted by anything, and that's the benefit, I suppose, of having the legals taken done and taken care of in advance. We're the yes people. We'll do whatever you want, what, the type of day that you, you are looking for. And so, okay, so you, did, you mentioned, say, on a beach. Um, give me mm-hmm. some other examples of beautiful places. Is it, is it primarily outdoors, incidentally? 
It's not actually, unfortunately. We we do live in Ireland, so that's always a risk. <laughs> <laughs> so that isn't it, it, ideal. People want it, but there's, we normally have to set up for, uh, you know, worst case scenario that the rain comes, which is probably likely. Um, but even this year now, when they are going ahead, I'm so happy. I have a couple of mine who are getting d- married in the Kinsale Hotel and Spa, but not in the venue. They're actually getting married in the forest beyond it Um, and they're such a creative couple she's a graphic designer they're wonderful so creative and fantastic ideas and they're able to incorporate all those ideas all their own artistic creative side of them they can do that so so that's fantastic would you see that wouldn't be a HSE registered venue so that's where we come in we can do that for this couple and um, they have as I said actually I think they have their legals taken care of already because did you find that people were postponing and pushing back hopeful that maybe 2020 might be better and stuff like that yeah Absolutely. I mean, when Radcliffe made the announcement that indoor gatherings over 100 people were to be cancelled, in our innocence, when I think of it now, people would be thrilled with 100 people. They would be over the moon. We were so innocent. Our couples were... I had three couples. One, actually, Emer and Robbie, you had them on last year. Um, He made the announcement on the Thursday and they were due to get married in the Vienna Woods that Monday. Um, You had them on air. Um, And in our innocence... People were rebooking for April and May, thinking, oh, this will be over in a couple of weeks or maybe a month. We'll be safe and we'll play it a month. And here we are over a year later. But what I will say is I think there's a bit of a shift happening. Couples are they're tired of postponing. And I think they realize they want to be married. And even if it is with the smaller numbers, they want to go ahead. So things are picking up. Um, People are starting to go ahead. I've had couples who've postponed two to three to fourth times at this stage. Wow, but I, I think know, they get into the point. Yeah, yeah and but, it's heartbreaking. But them. Monday, Monday will just allow 50 guests, guests at the service and uh, yes. only six oh, then if you're going for a bit of food indoors. I mean, would Absolutely. you... Would, you not, would it not make more sense to postpone a bit longer so you can get more people at the reception, No. I think it absolutely would, but I think some couples have done this for so long and each time it's broken their heart a small little bit more and a few of my couples have said they're kind of falling out of love with the idea of getting married because it's become a chore, you know, what should be exciting and, you know, if you pick good suppliers, they should be taking care of everything for you and you should be able to look forward to it and get excited about it and, you know, have your hen and your stag yeah. and all those things that yeah. you do and all those things, it's not possible. It's not possible the Irish way, if we'll say it, Neil. The Irish so, people, we're known to party. We like a big group. We like, you know... There's no like hen. Group. There's no stag. Yeah, somebody's texting here. Somebody's texting here. Can I ask a question? If you're only invited to, say, the service or the church mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you don't go to the reception, etc., etc., do you still mm-hmm. have to fork out the 200 bucks gift? Do you still have to pay for hair, makeup, new dress, tan and a new hat? I guess that's down, that's down to the individual. I know. I would be delighted to be going to a wedding with this. With, there's, there's nothing else on at the moment. I'd be <laughs> thrilled to go to a wedding even if I was told I had to leave after the ceremony. But there's fierce I, effort I involved and expense, though, just to go there to is, the service. There is. There is. And I think, look, I think, I think COVID has taught us all an awful lot this last year priorities, what's important, 
you know, maybe it isn't going out spending a couple of hundred euro on a dress and getting all that done, but maybe being together and celebrating the couple, you know? Then Hopefully again, then again, maybe an awful lot of people would be delighted to get out of, what do they call it these days? Is it called loungewear, I think they call it? Loungewear, <laughs> exactly. We're all, we, we, all the girls will have to learn how to walk in heels again, I think, maybe. <laughs> so, but the downside, of course, is, yeah, absolutely, uh, deportment classes, all yeah, dressed up and nowhere to go. Say hello <laughs> to people who will be doing, will do cheeky gatherings in gardens and stuff like that after the church, do you think? Uh, possibly, I don't know. I mean... I'm my my role is is over. I Your job's survey. done at that stage. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So I can turn a blind eye and walk away. But look, I don't think so. I think to be fair, all my couples who I've been dealing with. I mean, I had sixteen weddings in twenty twenty that were all postponed. Um, I've only had one this year actually. Um, one one this year went ahead, but there are still ten to twelve um, for the remainder of this year. And couples are saying we're going ahead. Yeah, yeah. You but mentioned there just for let's go. You mentioned that people are, f- are beginning to fall out of love with weddings. Has yeah, there been any who have fallen out of love with each other, I wonder, because of the delays? Oh, well, not that I'm aware of, thank God. <laughs> All my couples you, are still very happily... You haven't lost any anyway. <laughs> I haven't, I haven't, thank God, thank God. You check in with them, text them from time, are you still together? Are you still together? Exactly. But I, that's it, I've been in such close contact with them all over the last year. We've actually become friends. You know, know. I've gone through the, the ups and the downs of them now when they, you know, they've been... And now, obviously, with the numbers so restricted, even if they are going ahead, it's who to caution. It's it's hard. It's very hard for them. And another text here. What about the couples uh, who usually make 30 grand on their wedding? Sure, six at a wedding, they'd be lucky to make a thousand. Is it any wonder so many of them want to postpone? Any thoughts on that? Postpone the wedding for the big dosh down the road. I guess I find it hard to believe that that's the route couples go down and that's their, that's their modus operandi that they're, to, to, that to they're make not some money. money. Oh, but like a lot of the time, the money they get from the guests pays for the big wedding, don't they? Absolutely. And yeah. I actually think that makes sense because weddings are expensive. And, they can, so and it can pay for them. Like how much is a wedding dress? Well, they vary, but I mean, they can go from, I mean, 2,000, 3,000. Um, they were expensive, but I suppose because weddings, the format for weddings over this last year, and I suppose looking forward for another while yet, has changed. People are scaling back on things, and that's where it comes back to the wedding industry again, how they've been hit so hard. People are going ahead, but they're kind of, they're cancelling the bells and whistles. Um, You know, there's obviously not evening entertainment really, so the band is gone, the DJ is gone, some people are cutting back on the florist. People are maybe going for a simple dress that maybe they they're not going to the bridal suppliers. They're picking something up online. So while that's great for the couples, they can do that. It's hard for the industry, you know. So it's it's a balancing act. Really. I know it is. I'm just making the point that I can understand why people would postpone by virtue mm-hmm. of the fact that they can be so expensive. Um, Absolutely. Like Emer was telling me that uh, at her wedding, she was taking money out of cards to pay for the photographer, taking money out of cards to pay for the videographer. She paying as she was going along, you know. That mm-hmm, money from yeah. weddings can pay for the dress. Can, Maybe mm-hmm. even pay for the reception, you know? Mm. And I love that idea because that allows couples to get married. It's not money holding them back. So they can make this kind of business arrangement with themselves. Okay, well, what we get, we'll pay for it. And, yeah. and that's, I think that's great yeah. because yeah. it's yeah. an opportunity for you to celebrate with your friends and family and you're not out of pocket or you're not dealing with a huge loan, you know? You don't, you're not old enough to remember the days when people used to get toasters and table lamps and sets of cutlery and Well, I remember, it, thank God, I, I didn't get them myself. 
But again, I suppose couples have changed, haven't they? There's a lot of, I mean, we deal with a lot of different types of couples now, blended families, you know, couples. No, I'm I'm just saying at at least it's cash now, not stuff that you really don't want, eider downs and duvets and electric blankets and stuff. That's true. That's true. Listen, cash is always welcome, I think, for most young couples, you know, starting out. So, yeah, anyway, you got a step in the right direction on Monday, but it's, it's, it's far from ideal just yet. That's true. There's a bit to go. All right. Well, listen, do stay in touch, Linda. Lovely catching up with you. Thanks for taking the call. Lovely to speak to you, Neil. Thank you very much. All the best. Bye. Bye -bye. Text the Neil Brenderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. All right. You can also email Neil at uh, redfm.ie and get in touch as well by post Red FM Curraheen. That'll do. Actually, that's exactly what happened. I got a a letter in the post and also uh, a wallet. And um, the wallet has... Uh, some cards in it, some identification cards, and what have you, bank card and, uh, you know, public service cards and stuff like that. I won't go into a whole lot of detail as to who owns it, but it came with a letter saying, Morning, Neil. Just dropped this wallet into you. I found it last Saturday morning above in Mount Oval, Rochestown Road, while I was calling to one of my customers. I know you'll send out the message and unite this with its rightful owner, as you always do. Listen to you every morning. Keep up the great work, and thank you for this. And that's from... Uh, Muskree Security Services, fire alarm engineers. But more importantly, it's from a guy by the name of Jim Gibbons, who I remember from way back in the day. And he says, kind regards, Jim Gibbons, a.k.a. DJ Peter James in the good old days. And yes, indeed, I remember the great uh, DJ Peter James, pirate jock, club jock, traveling disc jockey. Uh, available for all occasions, 21st, weddings, the lot. And a great jock too. So morning to you, Jim. It's been a long time since I've seen you. And thank you for saying that. Anybody lose a wallet? Oh, I don't usually do this, but seeing as it arrived in the post from the great Jim Gibbons, I will. Um, if you lost a wallet or know somebody that lost a wallet up around Mount Oval, uh, get in touch. Text 0868104106. Prove who you are and I'll reunite with it with it a little later on today but do get in touch getting a lot of grief actually with regards to line of duty for God's sake you just said on air who H was Uh, I haven't watched it yet I'll have to turn off the radio program for the rest of the day now if you keep talking about line of duty I won't be talking about it anymore and I did not say who H was because we don't know who H was I don't mean to spoil it for you any more than perhaps I have already but I can't wait forever. We did that before, not being able to talk about things on TV because people hadn't watched it. And weeks later, we still weren't talking about things. And then the moment was gone. But let me just say, I have not said who H was, and that's the whole idea of it. Um, that's the downside, actually, to not watching shows. It's all very well, um, you know, not seeing line of duty but you had lots of opportunities because it was one a week it's not as if the whole thing was dumped in one go anyway there'll be no more said about it and I won't give away any more secrets I promise you that lines open at one 106 just one other little bit of, uh, of, of housekeeping actually no I'll go back to the phone lines come back to it in a minute let me talk to Sinead Sinead good morning when did we speak last? Uh, it was um, just after November we got married there on uh, Friday the 13th how did that go for you on the 13th? It was good. Um, yeah, it was, it was a grand day. Um, we didn't get round to getting everybody food because uh, it was straight back to the apartments after because we didn't really have a reception. Okay, so you married Esther. Where? Um, it was in um, in uh, St. Peter's Church in North Main Street. That's right. Fabulous location. Fabulous. So you just had the wedding, no reception, no honeymoon, nothing like that, no hen. 
No, we had well, we didn't get a chance to have a hen, but um, we're hoping to have a recreation ceremony at, at the year anniversary, and that's going to tie in with our reception. And, and uh, we plan to go on a hen and all that, and just do it all again and have a big bite. And looking back at it now, no regrets having gone gone ahead in in November, no. No, I I would have got married sooner if I could. We was meant to get married in June, but it kept getting cancelled and pushed back and pushed back. And we were hoping everything would be fine in a couple of months like everybody else. No, I'm just wondering from the point of view of those that went ahead, got married with tiny numbers. As we're coming out of this now, are they looking back with regret saying, oh my God, I wish I had waited. You're saying no. No, no, definitely not. Because I know we're going to have the reception and we're going to just recreate the ceremony ceremony that we had and we'll have a big party then after that. But um, no, I would have married her sooner if I could have. <laughs> what was it like? The mind the guests was not about them. What What did you guys wear? Um, I had a blue suit and she had a white suit. Wow, that must have looked so lovely. But was it not a bit weird then just going home? Well, we actually had apartments booked um, at the time when you could still book the apartments and we just all went back there and had a few drinks and that was it really and um, uh, we never so somebody ordered like takeaway I didn't get any of it so I got we were all completely drunk because none of us none of us had a meal or anything to kind of sober us up a bit so we was all the, f- the food never arrived no uh, yeah yeah no we um, we just we just Forgot about it. We forgot to get food, and then oh, somebody, somebody, yeah, somebody ordered um because we had the reception booked like with a meal and everything, and then last minute it was cancelled, so or postponed. So then uh, one of the one of the guests ordered a load of takeaway for somebody, and they they went out and they came back, and uh, and then somebody had eaten all their takeaway, <laughs> so they, they they didn't even get any after they buying loads of it. <laughs> Definitely. All right, okay. <laughs> well, no, we're going to have the big party. Yeah, I was just going to say, don't th- don't make that mistake next time round, right? No, it's already paid for. Like it's paid for <laughs> since day one, but okay. just we couldn't have it. And, and what do you make of this carry on from Monday, where you can have fifty at the service, but only six at the, uh, say, for instance, the reception? That's uh, silly. Like you no, know, I mean, I understand in the way that. People are going to have a few drinks. They probably won't be listening to social distancing because it's all their family. But I don't know. Like at the, at, at the after we got married, we had a drink or two in the upper area of the church place, and like it was the same thing as having a reception, but it was re- but it was only like twenty minutes. So I know it's we had to do it quickly, but in it's the same and out. Thing, like, yeah. I, it's silly. You can't really tell. Invite fifty people and tell forty four of them that right time to go home. I'm only bringing you six with me. Yeah, but let's say you, okay, well, that's true. Maybe the 50 will go somewhere, but where will they go? That's it, like, you know, like, it'll probably just be them going home and and then they feel like they're missing out on half your wedding. Like, we had to cut numbers from, from like, 120, I think, or was it 140, to down to 25. And if it was put down to six, we wouldn't have got married. Yeah, I know, I know. You just got in ahead of of another... Um, you know, drop in numbers. I mean, God knows, you know. Well, in ma- last March, we thought that we'd be back to full weddings by June, but sure, that never yeah, happened. Yeah, my parents couldn't be there. You know, we didn't really want to get married if our parents weren't there. Were there was, was your dad there? I know your dad. I went to school with your dad, Gordon, didn't I? 
that that was Esther's dad, yeah. Oh, Esther's um, dad I went to school with, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, um, but no, uh, yeah, we had 25 guests, which just about covered brothers and sisters, parents, and that's it. Anybody's nose out of joint not being able to go? There was a few unhappy people, right? But at the end of the day, like, you know, it's going to be family and then maid of honour and, you know, the, the people immediately in the wedding. I there know. were a few people. There were a few people unhappy that they couldn't I know. You know, bring I know. their plus ones or their partners. And I'm. They're the joys. We will do it again and you can bring who you want then when we're allowed. Listen, uh, give me a shout when you get the reception organized, all right? We'll chat again. All right. Take care for now. Take care. Cheers. No Take care, Sinead. No. Lines open at one 104 Traffic lights are out everywhere across the city, apparently. Every traffic light. Thanks to Rory for ringing that win. I have no idea why. Probably means that traffic is probably running a bit more smoothly. Anyway, let me just stay with this. Angela, good morning. Good morning. In spite of everything, you went ahead with the wedding three weeks ago. We did. What kind of numbers? We had six. <laughs> Where did you get married? I uh, got married in the Lock Church and we had a marquee reception in my mother and father-in-law's house. And how many were at the reception? We had we had our six. We didn't we didn't break our rules. We we did um our immediate family, so it was like my mom and my son, his mom and dad and ourselves. Um where were you? Where were you supposed to get? I mean, what, what, supposed to the get original. Origi- our original plan was to Gumbara Church and to Fota Island uh, Hotel. Two beautiful and choices, it, incidentally. Absolutely. Well, my my grand, my nan and granddad were always like Gumbara was their favorite place, and they're not with us anymore. So I always said that if I was getting married, we'd go down there and they'd be with us on the day. Um, but then COVID happened and things started looking a bit dodgy number-wise during the years. We say, church is a bit small, we better move church. So we moved church to the lock, um, which is my local parish. And then it just, COVID exploded and it sure didn't matter. Then our numbers were just getting less and less and less. And we were saying, there's no way by April that we'll be, like, we'll have 25, we'll be fine. And then it just, it just went to six. six. We just made the decision that it didn't matter how many people were there. Everybody was waiting outside the church for us, and everybody wished us well. And we had a great day, and it was fab. No regrets then about not holding absolutely out. No, 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 not no. We had an absolutely amazing day. What happened after the? Church sermon, sermon. So um, we had a couple of sandwiches for people outside and they all had a little bite to eat. We took photographs with people outside and we... You had a bite to eat outside the church, is it? <laughs> yeah, my mother-in-law and father-in-law had sandwiches made for everybody and they walked around with trays of sandwiches and gave people a little bite to eat for the people <laughs> who were waiting outside the church. Was it a nice day? Was the weather good? It, um, it rained for a little bit while we were inside the church, but when we came out, it was dry. So, so it wasn't soggy sandwiches, no? No, no, they were covered. <laughs> they were well covered. And you know all of the um, people that were out there eating the sandwiches? Did they give you mm-hmm. little prezzies and a few bob and yeah, an envelope? Absolutely, absolutely every person <laughs> that we had originally invited, because our, our original invites had gone out. Um, oh, really? Yeah, everybody gave us presents, everybody gave us cards, people we didn't even expect gave us presents and well wishes. 
everyone was amazing. I think there's a beautiful story, actually, to the proposal, isn't there? Because you were going through cancer treatment at the time, wasn't that right? I was, yes. Yeah. You were diagnosed last year. Uh, I was diagnosed in September uh, 2018. 18, sorry. It, um, okay. I was in hospital um, for the November in November into to December and I came home um, just in time for Christmas and he proposed on Christmas morning. Oh, that must have been lovely. It was, it was, it was. I get all emotional. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I know it was, it was lovely, yeah. So he um, he asked my son for permission and he proposed on Christmas morning. And what's his name, the man we refer to him? <laughs> uh, Podrick O'Connor. Podrick and Angela. Yeah. And and you're you're well now, I hope? Yeah, good. I went into remission in March of 2019, and um, so far, so good. We had one little scare during the year, but it turned out to be okay, and so far, so good. Ah, well, that's good to hear. Stay optimistic and stay positive. Absolutely. Um, After the lock chart, you didn't do an old turn around the lock itself, no? No, we actually went to um, Photo House. We went down to Photo House for our photographs, and um, because the wedding guests, were six, I was allowed to have my six, we'd say, for my bridesmaids and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, So yeah. I still have all my normal photographs that you'd have for any other wedding. Every, like, I have all my bridesmaids with me, and because I had my two sisters and my niece. And um, so that was my three, we'd say, on one side. And then Podrick had my son, his best man, and my nephew was his page boy. So that was his three. So all of our photographs, like, if you to look back on them, it's like every other wedding so it was absolutely worth it do you plan on having any kind of a blowout after all of this we're hoping to but I mean like I think we don't want to go too far on either because I think a year or two down the road having a big party might be silly so we might do something if we're allowed maybe like a barbecue type thing or something but yeah. nothing yeah. nothing not the big big extravagant things so we're married <laughs> it's done <laughs> well listen congratulations for three weeks Thank ago you, you had an amazing day thanks for sharing the Thank story you. take care Thanks Angela all the Thanks. best Bye. lights open at one 106 you can text 0868 we'll revisit that and lots more besides after 10 talk to Neil Prenderville now 1851 Red FM summer jobs mine was picking potatoes 62 and 63 down in Ballygarvin stay safe says the baldy barber uh, my first job was actually selling tickets in the ticket stall at Piper's Fun Fair I was working in a hotel and was there for about six months I never had an issue and was always Always on time, never missed a day. The owner uh, brought us out for a staff night to the local pub and restaurant. We'd get a three-course meal and he paid for the drink. He was getting pints and shots sent to the table after the meal. I was so sick the next day I couldn't work. Four days later he fired me on Women's Little Christmas for having a drinking problem. I told them I would leave when all the tables had been seen to as it was a busy night and I wasn't leaving my fellow workers to tend to all of these tables by themselves. I left later that night with smiles from my manager and fellow workers. Now that's an interesting story, that one. My mother sent me out to work at 11 years of age. I got paid two euro and two pounds an hour. I'm 34 now and I've been working ever since. It's a different generation now. Uh, and just one or two more. I think I get the prize for the weirdest summer job. I was given the responsibility responsibility of bagging bulls testicles. This was done to get them ready for better beef production. The vet would cut them and I would bag them. I felt glad to still have my own on the way home. <laughs> Happy days.
Happy days in the early 80s. You were glad you had your own testicles going home of an afternoon, considering what you were doing all day to the poor bulls once. That's right up there, actually. I thought yesterday's worst job was cutting pigs' heads in half, day after day after day. But I think that one just about shades it. Back after 10. I'm Lana O'Connor. Red FM News is first for local, national and international news. And you can stay up to date by tuning into our hourly news bulletins or by clicking on redfm.ie. Officially Ireland's music station of the year. This is Cork's Red FM. Lovely jubbly morning to Tony. He says, uh, you passed me by St. Finbar's Cathedral at 5 to 8 Saturday morning. And I called out to you, but you didn't hear me. I was doing a 50k uh, walk for my wife, uh, who's in the bonds for the last couple of weeks. Um, and uh, my daughter's doing a 50k run for the month of May. I was going to ask you for a shout out. Uh, would have liked to have had a chat and an opportunity gone. Uh, didn't realize how bulked up you were. Not quite sure what you mean by, not quite sure what you mean by how bulked up you were. The only problem is, Tony, it wasn't me, unfortunately. Um, now, there would have been a chance on the bike that I might have had ear pods in. I know, I get grief saying it's unsafe, but that's what I do. Sometimes I'm listening to a few tunes. But it wasn't me uh, on Saturday morning at 5 to 8. I was cycling on Saturday, but I didn't get out on the bike till half 10. So maybe there's a doppelganger, somebody who looks like me. But 5 to 8 was even a little bit early for me. So apologies. That wasn't me. Um, but listen, let's, let's, let's hook up and see if we can help you with the, with the run and the walk. And we will chat. But it wasn't as if I heard you and ignored you on Saturday morning. It just wasn't me. So come back to me again and uh, we'll, we'll help you out with your, your fundraisers. Um, I was a bar manager for years until COVID hit and the pubs closed. I loved, I loved it and still love the industry. Uh, and I was on pop. Was going mad sitting on my arse even though I was getting paid. I got up off my ass eventually and got a new job in retail. And I won't be going back to hospitality unfortunately. So there is an example of somebody who was in hospitality, waited and waited, but just could wait no longer. Uh, She also says, not all of us are sitting on our holes, as your caller said yesterday morning. Another colleague from the bar work has gone back to college since lockdown. Don't give out my details if you don't mind, and I won't do that. But again... Another example of people who were in hospitality who will never go back to hospitality again. And I love this uh, text. I worked thinning. I don't know whether it was turnips or beets or spuds, but I was very young and melancholic at the time. The drills were long. I was small. We wore no gloves. All the farms where we worked in melancholic are now housing estates all covered with tar and cement. The money we made was welcome in my house, I can tell you. We took a few slices of bread with us and we ate them at our break. Sometimes the farmer would pick us up in a van. Otherwise, we walked to and from the farm. I was about 12 years old and one of the few girls from our village. Happy days. I love the earth and I love the stones ever since. Uh, I see some texts coming in regarding uh, the person whose weirdest summer job was bagging bull's testicles. Um, I won't go into the detail, but people are wondering what exactly happened with the bull's testicles when they were bagged? Uh, What happened to them? Maybe there's some kind of an aphrodisiac in some part of the world. I don't know. And one final one. I worked in Halpins on Cook Street in 1979, part-time. I worked days, 10 to 6, and I earned, eventually, earned £25 for a five-day week. And I loved it. Actually, that was good money. It was hard work, but that was pretty good money. 
uh, back in uh, the back end of the 70s. Uh, 25 pounds. Lines open at one 104 106 and we'll come back to that and lots more besides between now and midday. Many texts then comparing the generation of today, the work ethic, and the generation of yesteryear. But I'll come back to all of that. I just sent the most fantastic photograph. It's just a beautiful photograph of a bride by the name of Heather. She joins me by phone. Morning. Morning. This is so lovely. Um, Thanks. You look absolutely stunning in the wedding dress. What? What is that? Is it kind of an off-whitey cream, is it? Yeah, it's kind of like a nude mesh underneath and then kind of ivory lace over it. So I was delighted because I didn't, I'm so pale, I didn't want like a white, white dress because I looked like a ghost. But yeah, I was delighted when I found that one. It's very risque, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's a bit, um, a bit see-through. Like, it's a, few it's a bit racy like, isn't it? I love this. I would have had like slits on it as well if I could, but I didn't. You look a million bucks, but what are you doing getting out the, of a boot of the car? <laughs> well, we got married in February, so we could only have six people, including ourselves. Just move around a little bit there, Heather. Bad reception. Sorry. Um, yeah, we got married in the registry office on Christmas. Grattan Street. Yeah, we could yeah. only have six of us there, including ourselves. So um, my mother-in-law set up kind of a little reception for us in the booth with cupcakes and champagne. So that was what we did afterwards. And two of my friends came out and they were able to have a drink with us and get a few pictures taken. And then we went home and had a takeaway. So it was lovely. So I'm looking at I'm looking at you sitting on the edge of the booth. Yeah. Um, is that the guy you married next year? Yeah, that's my husband, Barry. So Barry is pouring a glass of champers and the back of yeah. the boot is actually completely laid out with a, some kind of beautiful lace, is it? Um, there's just a, like a blanket and <laughs> like a tiered uh, cupcake holder thing and yeah, it was a surprise for us, so it was nice. So your reception was out of the boot of the car? Yeah, outside <laughs> the register office. <laughs> Were people passing by wondering what's going on? <laughs> I suppose people are not surprised these days because we went down and took pictures outside Blackrock Castle as well and Sherbourne was just going for a walk and looking at us and saying congrats and stuff. <laughs> and then it kind of started raining, so we headed home. But uh, this photograph is an, an example of how people can adapt to any circumstance, really, isn't it? Yeah, like we were meant to get married in July 2020 and sure we know a few people that have kept putting it off and off and off and they were like, sure we're doing it for ourselves. So we did it and we're delighted and then we might have a party on our anniversary or something and I might get out the dress again, you know. So you don't want a waist to dress as beautiful as that. Talk to me yeah. about the, are they boots? Yeah, they're glittery Doc Martens. <laughs> they're white glittery Doc Martens with um, fantastic Doc Martens with a wedding dress are fantastic yeah I don't really wear heels and they were nice and comfy now when I can wear them again so yeah you have a, you have a particularly unique style about you I'd say do you yeah I was going for the kind of Hollywood uh, glamour yeah, yeah you've yeah. nailed it you've absolutely Thanks. nailed it you really have <laughs> so after the champagne and the cupcakes were eaten you climbed back into the boot and headed home yeah, I went home, out to my mum's house and got a takeaway from Koto in June and we had a cake, a lovely cake 
that healthy meal delicious made us. So that was lovely, and that was it. Yeah. Oh, please let please let me share that photograph online. Can oh, I? Do. Yeah. No. Oh, I gotta I show matching, people. Uh, I had a matching mask as well. There's a. Uh, alterations by Kate out in Balancolic. She altered the dress for me so it was just when I bought it and she did all the things I wanted and she made a matching mask then a lace mask. So I had to wear that inside in the register office. So you think you're going to have another day because it, w- it must be somewhat bittersweet not having the full reception, right? Yeah, like I think we said her our anniversary in February and I'd say we'll just, you know, go to a bar or something and invite people we won't be doing you know the dinner and all that kind of thing just a casual enough party like it would have been nice to not have people but we were happy with what we did as well like it was probably a lot less stress as well you look fantastic and he looks good too he looks a class love the shoes incidentally where do you get the shoes Uh, that could have been TK Maxx now Oh, just yeah. the handy shoes there. They're lovely. Yeah. Hopefully you'll get it. Thanks. Let me share that photograph because people would love to see it. It just put, put a, it just put a smile on your face. We put it up on Facebook and Twitter now, lads. Go and have a look at Thanks. Heather and her wedding reception out of the boot of the car. Thanks yeah. so much for coming on. It really is no a great story. Thanks, Neil. Cheers. Cheers. Take care. All the best. Bye. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Tweet the show at Neil Red FM. 104 to 106 Red FM. If you want an example of how people are struggling these days, and probably more so in the last 12 months than ever, here's an email that came in to me, Neil. Uh, please don't give out our personal details, but please give a quick mention of our family's eternal gratitude to the passerby stranger who helped to rescue my son from the River Lee at approximately 7 a.m. last Thursday down by Albert Road after my son decided to end it all. I don't know who this person is, uh, but I'm at a loss as to how to thank them for what they did. I have no other means to contact whoever it was, but what they did deserves my heartfelt gratitude and thanks. After a week of hellish reality, watching his every move, being denied help from the mental health services twice. He has eventually now got a place in a treatment center. I would be grateful if you let this person know that they made a difference and helped me to give my son a bit of hope that he will recover and be okay. I mean, that's an incredibly powerful email in so many different ways. If it was you, that passerby stranger, you have the thanks and the gratitude of an entire family. I don't know whether it's mam or dad got in touch with me, for they don't say. Uh, but again, um, thank you for what you did on behalf of the entire family. Yesterday morning, um, actually it was dad, thank you. Um, it was dad that got in touch with me, they appreciate that. Ye- yesterday morning, and I hope he's well, and I hope that he gets the help that he needs now in therapy and treatment, and he will have a long and happy life. It might be a rocky uh, road ahead, but it will get better. Um, you were talking yesterday morning on the air, so we were, uh, about um, jobs and part-time jobs and the wacky ones and the weird ones. And we got on then to chat with the mason who's got his own slabbing, um, paving and gardening business. Uh, and he said, it's absolutely impossible, he was telling me on the air, to get apprentices because the young fellas, and he was talking about young fellas, they just don't want to work. And sometimes their mams will call in the morning and say it's too wet for Johnny to go to work or they're more interested in their phones or their lunch or their hair or their hands or their clothing than actually learning a trade. A lot of texts on that. Speaking of working, what about the lazy buggers who are refusing to go back to work and want to stay on the pup? What a joke. They'll be sorry when no one hires them and they have huge gaps in their CVs. 
Let me remind them this pop won't last forever. All jokes aside, Neil, the problem with this generation is their addiction problems, their addiction to social media. Yeah, a lot of the conversation yesterday was with, with the, with the mason who was the slabbing, paving and gardening business is that they're just slaves to their phones. Uh, morning, I'm in stitches here. He sounds like my brother who talks about the generation now. It's different now as we went out to work from the age of 14 upwards back in the day and we worked for our own money. The generation now is our fault, especially the Celtic kids, as we gave them so much and never made them responsible. I own a wood floor refinishing company. Everything that man said on the air is true about young workers. The more we give our kids, the less they have a need to do work for pocket money. So many young people these days are getting their, only getting their first jobs in their 20s, and they haven't a clue. The importance of part-time work. I trained a young fella at work a few weeks back, and he nearly broke me. Absolutely zero interest. He just didn't want to be there. You'd nearly want to light a fire under him to get him moving. He said to me one day, you move too fast. Do you know that? I couldn't wait to get him trained to be rid of him. I wonder, did you train him or is he trainable at all? That's not true about every apprentice. My son is doing an apprenticeship and they made a, and they, and they have made a fool out of him. 200 euro a week. He uses his own car, not a penny for diesel. He could be anywhere in Munster. He often just finished when he has to leave to drop equipment to another job. He's been left on sites by himself, for so obviously he's not learning anything from them. My son takes his lunch with him, and he doesn't smoke. We're telling him to keep going. It's hard. We're hard workers ourselves, so he knows what hard work is. They're taking advantage of him, you say, and making a fool out of him. I agree 100% with your caller, Timmy. I'm a mason for the last 17 years. It's a different ballgame now with young fellas. They don't want to do any hard graft and are always, always on their phone. My company is masonry, and no one but me is allowed a phone during working hours. You leave it in your car or your van. A selection of texts about this generation with regards to hard work. Uh, back to the phone lines we go. Let's see if, uh, if Keith ever had a part-time job. Imagine he probably did, and I bet you it's a weird one. Keith, good morning. All right, my man. So, as a young fella, were you out doing part-time work, bringing home money back home to Mammy? I was out when I was in it, nine and ten years of age, walking below in the banana boats down the dock. At the age of eight? At the age of eight, that's what the banana would come up on a Tuesday, and a Saturday, and we'd be, I'd be taken out of school. I was only too delighted to get out of school anyway. <laughs> Myself, uh... There was a, a Keith Sullivan, right? And there was, we used to have to bring a toss for the them from the school on the cathedral road because he could stack the boxes high for us, you know? But wait a second, we an, eight, an eight-year-old couldn't lift a bunch of bananas, never mind a box of bananas. Neil, that's what I was walking with me, sir, and I said, lift them blocks when I was five years of age, when he was building an extension on. <laughs> I was lifting blocks. No, I'm careful it, no. <laughs> to tell the truth of me back, right? But maybe you skate for 900 boxes of bananas. And you know what the tallest fella's name was? Oh, Phil Potts, right? But we was called him Mini. <laughs> because he was the tallest one of us. <laughs> and he, he was here to stop the boxes. Now you know, you see? So you, know, you were working alongside, you were working alongside grown-up dockers at the age of 12, taking bananas off the banana boat. Yeah. How much and like how much money would you make for that? Like, you know, I don't need for nine hundred boxes, but that's why you go into the small containers, right? 
There was 900 boxes goes into that. You get 21 boxes for that. And now you're breaking up. How much would you get for loading 900 boxes? 21 pounds. Was that good money then? That was. Well, between the three of us, it was seven pounds each, you know what I mean? But you see, the father was was fairly uh, highly ranked in there, so he was on the conveyor bed for the bananas, right? They used to push me to the trailer, yeah. And he he'd be pushing them in one after the other, and we done three one day. So the faster you worked, the more you earned. The, yeah, the faster you worked, the more you earned. We done three. I remember there we done three containers there one day. And next one, old, old Mr. Lee, he owned Churchville School. Yeah. Keith is the middle of the morning in the morning. <laughs> because we could see the docks up in the north side, you know. <laughs> I mean, we could watch the ship coming in. So, right? would the school know that you wouldn't be at school that day because the banana boat was in? Oh, yeah, he'd say it. No, I said, I'd bring up a rake of bananas to school, <laughs> I was bringing a big bag of them there, that's what's it, you me, so he was delighted with them. Were you feeding half the north side with bananas then, you were? I was feeding half the north side with bananas, that's what it, and I was giving them good straight ones, Neil. Uh, come, <laughs> come here, I mean, you'd never, just think about that, eight-year-olds working around grown men, big huge equipment, machinery, open water, and nobody there, thought there was a risk. There was never anybody ever checked us, Neil. Nobody ever checked us there because the doctors themselves, they'd be on the ship and they had all the different containers and the, the lorry drivers, they would pay you, not the doctors. What did you do with your money then? Um, did you bring it home to Mammy? Did you get to keep any of it? Well, on the way up there, we was going there into uh, McCorton Street. I can't think the name of the place. We go in there, we get chips, a bottle of Coke, and you'd give the chips and the, the captains. Remember the captains before me? Yeah. And you'd, you'd fill them with vinegar. The vinegar was free. Well, how how long ago was this? Oh, Jesus, you just fucked me. I know I tell you now. 70s? 40, 45 years ago. Oh, um, yeah. Well, you're talking about the back end of the 70s then. Yeah. And then uh, you go home then and you give your mother um, whatever was left, but you keep one pound back. I always kept a pound back. <laughs> I always wanted to buy a lawnmower, you see. To go cutting grass. <laughs> <laughs> did you save up for the lawnmower then, yeah? I did. I did. Need, I saved up for three years for the lawnmower, and then after two years, they have to bring the lawnmower. I had six lawnmowers, and I was going to mount in. <laughs> really? For the, oh, yeah. I did, yeah. I used to have men over the lads over the south side and everything, cutting grass still, and I hired a six year mount there. You're, li- and, you're uh, the little lawnmower empire business going. I had a small one. I did. Until all the bastards start to stick and sniff and belt them. I get back in there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I shouldn't laugh. That was the end of it then. <laughs> so you were, I mean, cutting, I, you were cutting the Southsiders grass? I was. And you know what I used to need? I'd go in and then I'd cut the grass and then I'd go in and knock at the door. Yeah, because you got to get paid. And they'd hear me. And they didn't even ask me to cut it. <laughs> oh, you'd cut it first. Oh, Jesus, I could have first thing. And then I knocked at the door there. I said, I just said, look, somebody told me to call up there to cut that. Should they have to pay me, didn't they? <laughs> and what do you think of the work ethic with young fellas now, young girls now? Do you think it's as good or as bad as it was? Need they're the laziest kids I've <laughs> ever seen in years. Do they lack I the think... initiative that you had on the banana boats and the lawnmowers? Yeah, they, do you know what, Need There's no <laughs> giving them. That's all they're doing is on their computers. 
well, listen, it sounds to me as if there's, if somebody has a little bit of initiative, there's money to be made out there, isn't there? I did it. The money to be made out of the, I always said about 30 years ago when I walked in the building, say, I said, lads, there'll be money in dust in years to come. And then it's about a thousand euros now for the lad to load it up. And then can I just say, well, well, you know, we were known in the school that we didn't know what marmalade was in Churchill. Why? Did you never have marmalade grown up, no? Well, in the school, you say that's it, that we didn't know what marmalade was. Remember the you hit the papers and everything there years ago? No, I don't recall that. Forgive me. Yeah, we used to wear T-shirts and all, that's what. We don't know what marmalade is on our T-shirts because we ate jam. Well, you'd either have one or the other, I suppose. Was, it, was, was, was marmalade a South Side thing then, it was? It was. <laughs> At the time there, yes. I never liked to that. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so, but we used to be eating bananas all the time, man. You need to. You're the north side fed with bananas, in fairness. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, can I tell you one thing about Chalk Tree School, what we're famous for? Not eating, right? ban- not eating marmalade, anyway. No, it's not, that's right. We had two brothers that went to the school there, Jimmy and John Murphy. And they got a job uh, t- for the test pilots for Boeing. Right? <laughs> And no, it's true though. I tell you know, right? I asked the question only the other day, right? So they had to test the slightest plane one day, and the plane went off course, right? And they had to land in the middle of the desert, right? And they were coming down the steps, John and Joe, and John says, Jesus, in the name of God, where are we? And Joe says, Well, I don't know. And he says, But in the middle of the, the, the desert, he said, And I'm going to name this place. And the other fellow said, That'll do, boy. And it's stuck. Ah, go away. Do you think I'm a, do you, do you think I'm a total idiot? <laughs> I tell you that's how they got the name, Dubai. I have a question for you before you go away. I got a text in saying Marky Callanan from Gronerbraher Avenue had a lion that he used to bring for a walk on a leash. I'm 83 years old now and I remember it. I was five at the time. Last year you were talking about the monkey on the North Main Street. I bet if you got a relative of Marky's on the air, it would trump Bimbo the monkey. As far as I know, the lion was later donated to Dublin Zoo when it got too big for Marky Callanan to keep him. You don't know anything about a Marky Callanan who had a lion on a leash years back, do you? No, I didn't know what I but I know for them black boy to be a baby elephant. <laughs> <laughs> at home, is it? Yeah, he'd be a baby elephant at home. He was at the play, he was walking on the ships and he brought him back in some ship from Matters or something like that. He brought like him he, but he, what I, happened when he grew up though? Well he had to he had to he had to lift him over the back out <laughs> to come get him out the door. <laughs> and I think then they they gave him up to Dublin Zoo. And was it? I see him with my own toys. You you saw the baby elephant in Blackpool. I did. Would he walk him through the village? 
I was bringing bananas down to him too. <laughs> Would you go away? Go away, go away. I'll talk to you what? soon. Good luck, good luck. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 1850 104 106. Red FM. I recall in the late 60s, a fella cycled from Galway, Mayo to East Cork. From Mayo through Galway to East Cork. And then cycled around and called to where beet was growing to get a job thinning beet. They would sleep in barns and only get the odd meal because they were in the fields and not near the farmer's house. The local youths were annoyed at them taking the work. So they would cycle from Galway. They would cycle from Mayo to East Cork to thin the beef, the beef. And one quick one, Desi says, America is having a huge problem getting mechanics for cars as young people don't want to get their hands dirty. They want to, they just want to plug the car into a laptop and fix it. Some of the classic car places are now paying their mechanics up to a hundred thousand dollars a year. They're in such short supply. Well, you'll never starve with a trade. Isn't that what they say? You'll never starve with a trade. Listen, I'm taking a real interest in this story that is developing uh, south of the Lee, actually on the estuary of the Lee. Um, and my understanding of it was there was to be a greenway route, which would be a walking and cycling route that was to be developed down the estuary. They call it the Rochestown Passage Greenway Walk, an extension of the existing one, where you technically could start on the marina and literally walk all the way ultimately down the estuary all the way to passage. And all that was going grand and people were happy out. But then some of the residents, and this is my understanding of it, I'm open to correction of it. Some of the residents then on the Rochestown Road, whose gardens would back on to the estuary walk, objected on, on the basis that maybe people on the walk would be looking into their gardens on the Rochestown Road. Would, would that be a logical conclusion? So, what they've done now, or at least the council is, they have decided to put the walkway and the cycleway on the main road. Now, that to me sounds absolutely bizarre. I'm not a resident of the area, incidentally, but Brendan is. Brendan, good morning. Hey, good morning, Neil. How are you this morning? I'm good. Now, correct me or explain to me what's happened down there that got so many people's nose out of joint. Well, as all Cork, people are very proud of the water and our harbour. And the Cork City Council, are de- and in conjunction with the County Council, are developing this, what's called the Lee to Sea Route, right? Route. Yeah, don't be slagging, oh, I'm very proud of it. I'm not uh, slagging, I love it. Right? It's a, it's a long time since I heard it. Yeah. So anyway, right? So the Cork Corporation or the Council, right, went out to public consultation. Yeah. Okay. 75% of the people who made public consultations through the consultation process stated a very clear preference for a coastal greenway. Okay? Which would be the walkway along the estuary with the, with the water on your left-hand side. Beautiful. Yeah. Exactly. And yeah. that's exactly how the railway ran. That's right. Many it's, years ago. Was, was okay. it to be, it's to be on the old, tra- the, yeah, hmm? the old railway line, if you like. Exactly. The old railway line, and the uh, Cork Passage and Black Rock Railway line, which started in the 1850s, would you believe? And where would that take you? Would that take you from Hearty's Key all the way to Passage then, is it? It would. Well, at, well, this particular phase will bring you from Hearty's Key to Hop Island. Right. And then 
like the present route is already in place from Hop Island through to Passage. Right, okay. So, okay. Now I, I understand, I have the geographics in my head. And then what happened to scupper that plan? Well, first of all, out 75% your listeners, I'll give them a million pounds, a million euros, if they can tell me that 75% is not an overall majority. Yeah, big time. But a lot of the city farmers are saying, you're right, don't mind, the 75%, we'll do it our way. What was the point of the public consultation in the first instance? But, but why are they saying in the examiner that it has to do with residents on the Rochestown Road whose gardens back onto the estuary were the ones who stopped it? Well, they are correcting that from what I gather. I, I was talking to, there's only one councillor who's against this from the area, Councillor Des Cahill, in fairness to him, along with Nolo Flynn, John Flynn, or what's his name? Keno Flynn. He, he's, Keno, against, yeah. he's against moving it from the water side onto the road, is it? He, he wants to celebrate it being on the water, but the corporation want to put it on the road, would you believe? It's illogical, right? And like the other man, Dan Boyle, no, the Green Party, in fairness to him. But like, to be honest with you, Neil, right? It's like a pantomime, right? Up there on the stage, you Deirdre Ford and Mary Rose Desmond and Terry Shannon saying, we want a greenway on the road. And you know what the audience are saying, Neil? Oh, no, we don't. Because the audience is all the public. Brendan, right? you're, you're fantastic. Like, you're, all we're short now is Penny Comerford buying <laughs> Bill O'Connell, right? And there'll be so many cows on this badly designed greenway, they'll all be shouting, Look behind you! <laughs> you know what I mean? Whereas, like, there was a Twitter poll then done last week, right? The, the residents, the, I, 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 I part of it myself, the, I, I'm not on the comment here or anything like that, but... <laughs> There's hundreds of people have gathered in the area. The businesses down there, and they're very vocal now, right? They did a Twitter poll. They got 2,600 votes on it, okay? And 99% of the people on the Twitter poll said they wanted a greenway. They wanted on the water side, yeah. 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 There's a great Dubliner song. Free the people, let them have their say. <laughs> it's time the people get their say because <laughs> to use another song inside the city hall at the moment Cork City Council are definitely acting their langer <laughs> you know oh <laughs> my god follow <laughs> that hang on a second what keep this serious this is not a greenway that is being put forward as the preferred route by the city council because the definition by the Department of Transport is a greenway, is a recreational or pedestrian corridor reserved exclusively for non-motorized journeys. Okay? So, motorized journeys are when cars cross a greenway. Okay? We all have to drive in out of our houses. I accept that. That's very practical. Okay? But the reality is that if this goes from Marina Park, which is soon to open, down through Blackrock, Regina will be walking through Blackrock for his 4.5 million euro mansion, right? <laughs> right? Through Harty's Quay, onto the route just down route, right? And then this will be the only part between Marina, Marina Park, which is a fantastic development, and the City Council is all players for that all the way to passage that there will be cows. So, so you know, would it be a case then that people who want to walk or cycle would actually be on the road? 
they'll be on the road. They'll be on the road. And there's no parking in the area. Like in the initial public consultation that went out, there was there was uh, there was supposed to be parking, right? And like, like I don't know, you, you might go around there for a walk yourself. Sometimes I know you don't live too far away. Uh, well, I walk. well I do, and and before all of this, I used to love to cycle. What you could cycle, I stay away from it now because I think bikes get in the way of people who are walking. But it's beautiful. It's beautiful, and like if you were trying to park there outside. We'll say the cinnamon cottage. They're trying to run a business. A young young couple inside there running, and they do a great job. Yeah, you can't park. Like I'm into vintage myself, right? I have a Honda fifty, and I, you wouldn't find parking for a Honda fifty down there. The it doesn't, uh, d- Brendan. It doesn't surprise me that your mode of transport is a Honda fifty. You sound like well, a kind of only one of them. Like <laughs> a Jeep as well. But me little Honda fifty, she's rapid and she's fifty. She's two hundred and fifty on a windy day. Well, like. This is crazy. But what's really happened here is what's really happened here is there's something very serious came out last night. So the corporation identified three reasons for their decision. The residents concerns and I have respect for the residents concerns. But I think that the council could come forward with an excellent design. This facility this amenity isn't just for 32 houses is right? it that the 32 it's people who own and bought their homes and paid for it with their hard earned money don't want uh, a public path running along well, their back garden I, in I, fairness I, now they may have a point I'm 6 foot 2 and I walked along the tide there last night behind the houses on the publicly owned foreshore where this greenway should be built I walked the full length of it, I walked it four times yesterday evening, right? And I saw into one house. And you're one six house. foot two and you could only see... Six in, foot two. Yeah, you could see six into the... Two, yeah, could you see the, their back windows of the kitchen or the back... The, I, saw, I saw one window on the whole walk. So it's a disingenuous argument. I think there's pathways that are built there that the council and the department of the environment should be looking at because they're built on the public floor show without authorization, right? But that's a different issue. Dad, I know nothing about that, so we won't even go there. I don't no. want to get I don't want to get no. bogged down in the no. technicalities no, of it. I'm just trying to get a sense of how people are feeling down there. The you residents, the, the, the reason, so let's stick to the three the three reasons. Well, Cinnamon Cottage are quoted in the in the examiner saying the greenway is on everybody's lips coming into the shop. Uh, and they um, they said, I believe that they're very disappointed that it's not going on the foreshore. They're decent people, and yeah. I remember Carol Murphy, that ran it before him, a very decent woman. Hang on, hang on, hang on there a second, hang on there a second, if you will. Um, tough one to follow, Fine Gael Councillor Des Cahill. Des? Yeah, tough one to follow. He's, right, a, he's a tough act to follow, Brendan, but <laughs> do your best anyway. What's your, I mean, I saw you put a video up there. You did a lovely walk in the area when it was announced that the work was going to be done. Um, if you mu- have you much to add to what Brendan brilliantly li- outlined for me there? I, I do. I'll probably make it a little bit more not as entertaining, but what I will say is that when the proposal or when the the workshop was done and they came back to the councillors last week. They announced the results and then they, as quickly as they announced, they announced the results of the public opinion. They said, you know, for ecological reasons and neighbourhood uh, reasons and so on, we're going to do the road instead. Um, and they just moved straight into it. And I kind of said, are you not at least going to show us a drawing of how it could be done and done in a way that would 
um, you know, take into concern the, the, the residents. My understanding is that if there was a walkway, that it would be on, uh, you know, on stilts as opposed to port. Like a board, it would be a boardwalk all down the street. Exactly, yeah, and it would yeah. probably be 10 metres away from the boundaries of the houses and, uh, you know, done in a way that doesn't intrude on them, which, they, uh, which everything should be done to minimise that. No one disagrees with that. But the idea that 32 or 30 odd houses will be crossing over and over and back across the Greenway doesn't make sense to me. I think I kind of said to them at the meeting, I was rather cross, and I said, look, and I said, this is turned into a roads project, not a, not a, um, a Greenway. And in fact, I was perplexed as to why the roads department were doing this and not Parks and Recreation. Who are doing the marina park and doing in charge of all uh, the? Yeah, I understand that, but is it, is it because of the back gardens of the houses? Is it? Is that the, well, the reason? No, not necessarily. No, they did say that was obviously concerned, but they they pretty much said, for from from an ecological point of view, it would have difficulties. Now, with that in mind, the council. But how could that be? I mean, there was there used to be trains run down there. There was no problem in that area. Correct, and in recent years, they in the same zone, our ecological zone in the harbour, the county have done work very tastefully. We've done work in the city tastefully to say that a blanket reason you can't do it is because of ecology is lazy. It's just lazy. To go to the parking element of it, and again, I was quite vocal at the meeting, they did say what they'll do with the current car park in Harty's Key is, is install kind of a, three, a, meet, um, a barrier that you can't be there longer than three hours and they feel that that will filter more cars through it. But I said, why aren't we building another one? And I, I made a point that I said, I'm, I'm living close enough um, to be able to get onto the marina and to get onto the walkway without going through a massive amount of hills. If you live in the top of Maryborough Hill, Clarks Hill, Coach Hill, and you have a bunch of smallies with small bikes and you want to go to the walkway, you're not going to go down those hills and go back up those hills. You're going to drive to them. So what do you say, Brent? Even if it was someone elderly, it would even be hard. Absolutely. I spoke to people who avoid, who use the area a few years ago, have avoided it now because of it. So would you be would you be walking and cycling um, alongside traffic then for that, that long stretch of yes yes that, yeah. there'll be some sort of trees but they can't be that effective if the thirty houses have to get access through it okay let, let, let me let me sorry I may I may have dropped Brendan there lads if you can get him back again just because I think Terry Shannon was mentioned there as somebody who's in favour of moving it onto the road is that right Terry Neil good morning how are you good um, yeah Brent- I, I listen I I think there's been an awful lot of hype on this issue and particularly on Twitter and and it concerns me greatly and people commenting on matters that really haven't been decided yet. There's there's no decision on this. The, the Part A planning, where there will be further public consultation, will begin next week. So what happened previously was that before... Before, like a party eight went out, and you commented. Don't and don't, don't get overly but technical because people. W- I well, wouldn't I be able. Think, to, yeah. No, but I think we need to set the scene, Neil. What happened previously was we had a pre pre planning, so people were asked for various opinions as to what way, what route this should take. Now, uh, and Brendan is correct. The vast majority of people, and obviously so, would have a preference for it to go on the riverside, but there are difficulties. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, there are difficulties with that which need to be resolved, and city council have recognised that, and residents have recognised that, and the councils have recognised that, and you know, like this idea that you know, um, 
you can have a public consultation process, but local residents don't matter. That's not good enough. And, that, like, and that's exactly okay. So okay. So there was the end of the line. Sorry, only one second. Up in Rockfield and Black Rock, there was a proposal on that line as well to put an access into the into that path. No, not talking the about that. Not, not interested. Not interested in that. I'm interested in just dealing with the point that you made there. That as part of the uh, the consultation process about putting in the greenway, the people who lived in the area had to be asked. And they weren't happy with it? They weren't because they have concerns that not alone will they have people walking in front of their house, they'll now have people walking at the back of their house. Yeah, but Brendan is six foot two and he can't see into the... Brendan is six foot two and he can't see into their gardens, he said. Well, I don't know who Brendan is, right? And I don't know whether he can or he can't. said he can't. I mean, I think people... Well, I don't know whether he can or he can't, Neil, but I think people are entitled to the immunity of their back garden. But can you not put hedges up or something or put up some sort of a... a, 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 some blocking mechanism where you can't see into their gardens? (laughs) Well, well, hold on. Fences, maybe. Entitled to, to, you know, if they've lived in a home for 50 years, why would you bring people down to the end of their backyard? Now, these, these aren't St. George, these aren't big houses in Roachstone Road, let's be clear. This is St. George Place and Island View. Their uh, council houses belong to city council. So we're not talking about big, massive gardens and the whole lot. And people, so the people who are objecting, the, ho- have, the houses have, are owned by the council? Some of them are, yeah, and then St. George Place, which is just beyond the inn on the left. It's that's that's the area we're speaking well, about. They would still so I mean even if they are council houses, they would the still be houses. they would still be entitled to object. Pardon? Even if they're in council property, they would still be entitled to object. Oh, and they have, and that's my point. And so we have to take into consideration what they're saying. Now, in the end of the day, there will be a planning process, which is starting. There'll be further consultation uh, with the residents, with cycling campaign, with local groups uh, who are, are uh, there's a there's a roadstone development group who have done massive work in that area, uh, along with the tidy towns. They're all groups of people who have been active in the roadstone area for many years. There's a new group now have appeared on Twitter. I don't know who they are, and no one seems to know who they are, but they're quite active on Twitter. They and, are called the Rochester you know, Village Cork. Neil, if I could add something there, Neil. Yeah. yeah I 99% of those that were asked the question, which route yeah. would you like to see between Rochestown and Hop, 99% said the coastal I'm greenway. Sure, like we could all put together a Twitter poll, Neil, so we don't know where those people were from. The point I'm making is that there's a lot of vested interest going on here that we don't know anything about. And I think we've got to be clear. Who'd be a vested interest? Neil, can I come in there for a second? Yeah, it does. Go on. I, I, think, the, I think there's two points here that, that, that Terry is glossing over. One is that at this junction, the council are now going to invest a lot of time and money into a final design and then present that one single design. What I asked for, and I don't think was unreasonable, that before that decision is made, two broad designs are made for both sides with a list of pros and cons, and then based on those decisions, you would go and spend a lot of time and money. And I think that's, the, I mean, the fact that, the po- that their own information from the council showed that the vast majority wanted it and to not even attempt to produce an option with that on it, with the pros and cons and, and so on and so forth is bad. Then they'd overturned, they did the opposite when it came to parking. 
I mean, anyone would understand that you need additional parking down there. We've, we've provided additional parking in Blackrock Village when we've done it. We've provided yeah. additional parking in the marina. And they're saying we don't need it there. And the reason they said they chose to do that was because no one asked them in their poll to get the park. resident down there said that the stretch of road where the pathway is planned is too dangerous to take his eight-year-old daughter. The road is yeah, much, yeah, the road and the traffic move much too yeah. fast. And not to mention the fact that the part of their reasoning was based on a guard recommendation, which we now know is not valid. Well, because, because it was recommended. Well, because it didn't come from Anglesey Street; it came from an individual guard. No, and then, well, the guard. Well, yeah. It, okay, that's the same as saying somebody from the UN is saying something, but it's the UN saying it. It's not the same thing. Uh, there's a particular rank of guard that you have to be to do any of these. Senior guardy have perplexed by this, and they've come out and said that they, the guardy have no objection to this whatsoever. Can I, can I just say, I agree with the decision the council made and therefore the council... Okay, I'm going to run out of time. Yeah, I'm going to run out of time. So, Terry, are you okay then with families, young children, small little bikes and trikes walking alongside traffic on the Roadstone Road? First of all, I agree with Des, we need more parking and that needs to be part of this. Secondly, there shouldn't be anonymous submissions made uh, uh, everyone should be named and that's why I've, I'm calling on your, uh, your programme today for this group who are the, the, the business and residence group in Rochestown to come out and tell us who they are because they're on Twitter but they've never been involved in any activity below in Rochestown and nobody knows who they are I'd like to know who they, they could are could be 2,609 people who would like to walk next to the water well, well what businesses are involved in that when do they meet who's their leader who's the chair of it how do they put their organisation together they, they they came on Twitter a fortnight ago. They haven't right. been involved with any of the groups who were active for years. Though. Okay, but Brendan, and, it and seems... I say as well, just in relation to the road, Neil, there has no design been done yet, so you can't look at what's there. No, no the examiner has, the examiner has um, what looks like the route along the main road. There's no, 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 there's no design done yet proper design. That was a design put out for public consultation. All people in, in, in City They Hall clearly have changed their mind, though. What would have been the railway line has now become the road. Because two things, Neil, and we have did it for residents in Black Rock already, where we take into consideration their concerns. They are, the residents have concerns, but there's a the Douglas Estuary is a protected area. It's a, with, but with sure people should be allowed to walk it. Like, that's what it's there for. It's an amenity. It's a beautiful place. Let well, we have to take into consideration ecology as well, Neil. So what I'm saying to you is the design hasn't been... Ecology, schmology. So sure, what about all the rest of the walk? It's just part of an ex- extended walk. It's a complete fudge, Neil. And the, the, the and, chief executive and, needs to intervene and get the parks department to run this, not the roads department, and go back and get two proper well, options put out on the floor please, like I mean, they should have in the first place. This is always done in consult- consultation with a number of different departments, okay. roads, recreation, and a couple of others. So you're saying but this is not decided yet? What I'm asking for, Neil, is transparency for those who are commenting. But like the guard, whoever that guard was, we need to have a name. Why are you worried about people who respond to a Twitter post? Well, that's democracy. They're entitled no, to have a vote. That. I'm saying there is a very active group who've called themselves the Rochestown Business and Residence Association, yeah. who've come on Twitter in the last part. Nobody knows who they are. They've never so been involved. You don't know who they are. They're the Rochestown yeah. Area Business and Residence Association. And all I'm asking is, who are they? They're the Rochestown okay. Area Business and Residence Association. And who's the chair of it? What do you want a list of names? Where are you? Are you a member? What are you in Putin's Russia or what? 
No, no, but I think if we're cribbing that there was an anonymous submission made from the guards, we want to know who that person's name is, fair enough. I'd like to know who these people are. Like, I know who the tidy town people in, in Rochester are. I know who the development group are in Rochester. And if people are commenting and making submissions and having polls, the least they can tell us is who they are. Okay, so, all right. That, okay, uh, Brendan, it looks as if this isn't over any time yet. No, he ain't there. Okay, we'll come back after 11. Much obliged to Brendan, Des Cahill and Councillor Terry Shannon. Your thoughts are welcome, particularly, as Terry would like to point out, if you're a member of the Rochestown Area Business and Residence Association. Come forth and let thee be named. Hi, it's Killian here. Weeknights from 10 with new music, some flashbacks and a bit of chit-chat as well. That's The Late Shift with me, Killian, on Quark's Red FM. Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prindeville now. 1850 104 106. Uh, a couple of Red FM. quick texts from yesterday. My Conversation with Colm down in Sam's, uh, the uh, Gala, uh, Gala supermarket shop down in Dunmanway. And that's what started us about uh, part time jobs and what have you, and kids looking for work during the summer. You totally missed the best Cork humour ever from that man, Colm, in West Cork. When you asked him about Sam Maguire, he said he started out with nothing and kept most of it. <laughs> Somebody else said, isn't Michael Collins the astronaut's grandparents in Dunmanway? Correct. And Paul down in Dunmanway himself, who is very proud of his town, village I should say. Uh, another connection with Dunmanway is Michael Collins, the Apollo 11 command module astronaut in the 1969 moon landing. His grandfather, Jeremiah, left Dunmanway in the 1860s. Incidentally, Michael Collins passed away at the end of April. He certainly did last week. Um, and then somebody supporting those that got criticised of late. In fairness to the youngsters in Skull, they were all up and about cleaning up after themselves at the weekend down in Skull, which is a good thing to say. And then apparently somebody was talking about a whistler who worked in Kelleher's with the horse and cart. Mikey O'Halloran is alive and well. He was the whistler. Uh, who worked in Kelleher's with the horse and cart, a lovely gent. He's my uncle. I'm sending him best wishes from Helen and all the family. So the whistler is alive and well and good to hear. And then another lovely text. It was down in Douglas Park last Friday morning. I fell to the ground. It was around 11.30 a.m. I met a lovely woman with her three daughters and a man in his 30s. They stood over me, helped me, got me water, some sweets, and brought me back to my car. I would love it, Neil, if you could thank them for me. I never got their names. Job done, and well done to those that intervened. On the issue involving the Greenway, Terry Shannon wants a list of names of people who responded to the Twitter poll. That's a total breach of GDPR to demand names. Information is only given out if the individuals feel uh, comfortable and confident to do so. I don't agree with Terry Shannon's argument, but his point was totally lost when he started talking about wanting the list of names. If people want to walk on the walkway by the water, go down to Blackrock Castle. Sounds to me, Neil, that people have objected for the passage walkway to put on the riverside. They're only looking for a payday to have it put by the riverside. Don't know. I heard in the news there that the the residents were unhappy with it going along by the back garden for security reasons. I'm a resident of St. Gerard's Place. How would Dan Boyle like a walkway behind his house? Also, there is no thought of the people who live in the area. Dan Boyle and the likes would be better off worrying about his own area. A selection of text. Actually, just a, just a call or two on this, actually, before I move on, because Sian apparently um, must live in the area because she uses it with her kids. Sian, good morning. 
Can you hear me Hi, okay? How's it going? Good, there you are. Yeah. Okay, you hey. you cycle your six year old to school along the the existing walkway, do you? Um, no, I think there's been a bit of a, a confusion here. I was saying that I'm actually from Cork, but I'm not living there. I'm living up in Dublin and they put a walkway in where we are and it has given us the ability to do that. Um, and you can do it because it's off road because I think anything will tell you if cars and bikes are sharing space, it's just not good for anyone and, and certainly for kids. And I, I just want to make one point. Like, like why, why, are, you, why are, you in, are you interested in the... The, the passage one? Um, because I, well, I'm from Cork and I go down and I think gotcha. an immunity like that would I be I understand. Brilliant. No, I didn't I, know you were from Cork. If you're calling me from Dublin, yeah. I was just curious. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah well, from that, like, um, I think Waterford, the, the Dungarvan one will show you that if you do build stuff like that, it, it will bring people specifically just to use it. But I think that this has to be considered as a public immunity and I do feel for residents saying, you know, I don't want something going behind my back garden, but you know, you have to weigh that with what it's giving back to people, and especially around that road. Like that, that road is far too dangerous for anyone to be to be cycling on. And to take that off will give children and and families, especially, the, the chance to go out they, and use this. And I know, we've I seen know. anything with coronavirus; it's that you need outdoor spaces, and they have to be given over. And um, I sent on like the what they've done up here, like in they've done a coastal mobility route and it's not just people on bikes like it gives people who are in wheelchairs the ability to get back out onto into cycling because it's closed they can use it they don't have a fear but of does it run along it. I understand oh it's a beautiful idea and of, of course one would want it the way that it was proposed but do, what you're describing in Dublin does it run alongside the back of anyone's gardens um, does it run along? It runs in front of houses. Um, back well, we do have a lot of walks that go on the back, like the old and very similar, like from Dawkey. I, I don't know if people are familiar with Dublin, but the old kind of, I think it was coal they used to bring down from Dawkey to Dunleary. So there's railway there and they converted it the same yeah, into and, uh, that. The and proposal here is the old railway line. Yeah, yeah. Exactly, yeah. No, it is. It runs along people's back gardens. Right up to their uh, their gate. If they mention, say, for instance, security issues in the area, could it be that their houses could be burgled and bur- burglars could access their back gardens and then the into their house from the walkway? Maybe that's a legitimate worry. Yeah, look, I mean, there are those worries, but I don't think adding the walkway, if anything, that would probably reduce the possibility, right? Because it becomes, they're probably, they're going to put lighting in there, that people will be using it regularly. It's not going to be something where people can just soak in and go into the back of the house. Yeah. I mean, there's always going to be that concern, of course. I I think we need to legitimise people's concerns, but it's a public immunity. Why would you run it on a road if you have a perfectly good and, and beautiful view along a river? It makes no sense to me. All right, let's get some more thoughts and calls in it. Thank you, CM. Appreciate the call. Text 0868 106. Back after the break. Text the Neil Prenderville Show now. 086 8104 Red FM. Thank you to Jim Gibbons who sent me out that wallet. I have an update for you. We found the wallet's owner. Uh, he was up to 90 looking for his cards and his personal belongings. So a huge thank you to Jim Gibbons. And it's here for you, my
my friends who I'm sure you've organised to come and get it. It's safe and well. I'm looking at it here. Terry Shannon was back on just on a point of clarification. He said he was asking for the names of the people who have the Rochestown Village Twitter page who set it up, not the 1,209 names of people who polled, which are already available in City Hall. Uh, he wants to make sure a group setting themselves up should be known to the public. So he wants the names of those that are behind the actual Twitter page, not those that engaged in the poll. Meanwhile, here's an interesting observation from somebody who's been through this. Um, I, and this is a text. I can understand the residents' concerns in Rochestown. This pathway was put 10 yards from our house in Balancholic. And the noise from 6 o'clock in the morning to 9 p.m. now is continuous compared to no noise before they put the pathway uh, behind our houses. We asked council to put plants along the fencing just to give us back some privacy. Eight months later, nothing. Can't come on air, but feel free to read this out. So as in, as in we've been through this ourselves, and this is what you have to put up with if you have a walkway running along the back of your house, I suppose, in support of the residents on the Roadstone Road who are unhappy with it. Anyway, keep those texts coming. Text 0868-104-106. Um, I meant to read this at the back end of last week, and I probably will... Come back to it again in the morning. But just on a point of information, uh, please don't give out my details on air, but the Rotunda Hospital in Dublin have announced a new visitor's guideline, guidelines now for their hospital, which allows a nominated contact to come into hospital during certain hours daily. I want to point out that a partner father is not a visitor and has rights to be present for their child like a mother would. This means that women recovering after having babies can have some sort of support in relation to their aftercare that overworked staff don't have time for. Here's my question if you get to read it out. If a hospital in a county with continuously high daily figures and canal length mass crowding on Sundays can make room for a step forward for the care of women using maternity services that help to improve their quality of care, how come a county like Cork with lower figures and a maternity hospital like the CUMH continue to deny the aftercare and support that they rely on by their nominated contact? The only appointment in which a nominated contact can be present is the 20-week anomaly scan. Why are not other appointments allowed? How are they not important? Uh, can't come on air as I'm at work this morning, but I wanted to bring this positive move forward by the rotunda to your attention as maternity care should not be a postcode lottery. Thank you for that. I don't like the term nominated contact when you're referring to the father of the child. I just don't like that term, nominated contact. I suppose it's used because maybe there isn't always the father of the child, but um, I know that there's been some talk about taking it out of the hands of individual hospitals and having one rule for all maternity hospitals. I wonder, are we anywhere nearer any of that? Anyway, I, I be in, coming back to that in the morning, so feel free to text if you're in that kind of situation yourself. Text 0868104106. But um, I was sent some information on, on this topic uh, earlier in the, uh, over the weekend, actually. It may have been originally sent by, by Emma. And then I saw a photograph of Emma and a friend of hers, Leslie, um, down in West Cork, um, out in the middle of a field, probably up the side of a mountain, on an old ancient stone circle with their laptops. And I was keen to work out why. And Emma joins me by phone. Emma, good morning. Morning, Neil. Thanks so much for having me why on. Why up the side of a mountain, the two of you with your laptops? Are you looking well, for signal? Well, exactly, yeah. 
uh, basically we're in we're deemed as a black spot which means that we're pretty much unserviceable by all the main providers and it was only when my mobile I had I moved my business online and when we moved to a mobile broadband um option and over time that completely collapsed and we had uh, our we tried to go back to our fixed line broadband and they basically said you're two kilometers too far out from town for us to service you that we literally had to kind of take matters into our own hands because literally we had no broadband at all during for six weeks i have two kids six and twelve and they couldn't get online to school my partner is a teacher he had to do zoom calls so I had to basically do round uh, an hour round trip to go to my mum's for my kids to be able to get onto Zoom. And so for myself and Leslie, who also has really poor quality broadband, for us to get any kind of signal, we were having to drive up the hill, use our mobile data from our phones to actually be able to send an email. Absolutely ridiculous. So, what so you, ha- you have to go up that hill to that ancient yeah. stone circle, hotspot your phone onto the laptop to work. Yeah. And we're so lucky, we're in a beautiful location and we have lots of beautiful areas that we can go to. So the Stone Circle or I have a lovely field that I can go up to up the hill. But basically it just highlights how, how difficult it is for us to operate businesses. Leslie runs an art business, I have a wellness business and there's a third business owner down the road actually, Jennifer, who runs Prestige Cleaning. So we're three businesses that can't operate because we've really poor broadband. What's your speed? I'm just curious. Okay, upload 0.7. Yeah, and down? Uh, download 15. Yeah. Now, we have brought, as you, uh, may, you may have mentioned, fiber, uh, fiber optics basically is... A it's solution. a thousand megs. Well, well, if you're lucky, I mean, John Manway is 650 and they have an amazing line. You never but get it though. They, they promise a gig, but you never get that. But you certainly get 500, 600, 650. Well, I know, I know uh, that because I have a fiber service in Kerry. Oh, you're very lucky. No, in, in, yeah. Actually, funnily enough, I understand your pain because yeah. my house is the last house that gets fiber and the entire village doesn't. Bizarre, oh. isn't it? It's very frustrating. And actually, we have... So it's one kilometre up the road from us, and the two neighbours that actually have access to it, I went and talked to them because we've started a a campaign and we've got online signatures and handwritten signatures. We've over 200 now of support. And they have both said that it was a total game-changer for them when they got onto fibre. They have speeds of 40 to 50. Now, it's not 1,000, it's not 600... But 40 to 50 means that you can actually operate a business. You don't have to drive up to a stone circle to actually get online, send, send an email. Your kids don't have to, you know, get on to sea salt from the ditch. It's ridiculous, you know. And, well, and while you're being impacted as, as businesses, yeah. are there other families then who are just trying to work from home or kids are trying yeah. to, you know, back in the day when they were Zooming for school, you know? Absolutely. So it was really, like, I always knew that everyone in the area had poor broadband, but it was only when I went around to gather signatures that I discovered how bad it actually was. And I was hearing stories of, you know, young people losing jobs with tech companies because they literally just couldn't get online. 
of school kids not being able to um, upskill, you know, put CVs together. They weren't able to Zoom. They could maybe manage two out of three Zooms a day, but all the other devices have to be off. Oh, my God. They couldn't have the camera on. So it looked like they weren't participating, but they actually couldn't have it on to, to get on. So our children aren't being able to be, be educated properly. And is that and fairly now, commonplace in rural Ireland, do you think? Par- pardon? Is that fairly commonplace, what you're describing in many yeah. areas of rural Ireland? Absolutely. I mean, the more people I talk about, the more people I kind of hand out the signal, you know, give out my, our petition to. It's the same similar story of, you know, oh, well, fibre is just at the next lamppost, but we can't get it to our house, or, you know, we're unserviceable, so it's really poor. I mean, I don't really need good broadband anyway because I don't need to do much but people are not being properly connected you know it's 21st century we're being told to work from home stay at home and the government is rolling out this national broadband program but it's a nine-year rolling program and you know they've the the one up the road it, it literally it was actually the we've had some media coverage and the journalist from the Southern Star contacted them to ask why it had abruptly stopped mm. and when would it be rolled out. And I have asked similar questions and we're not being given an answer. And, you know, Holly Cairns kindly tabled a question to the doll and we didn't get a clear answer. Christopher O'Sullivan campaigned for us and he was told they're speeding it up. It's within a three-year rollout program. Can you not get satellite? Elon Musk has a load of satellites in the sky now. Is that an option? Would you believe I actually emailed Tesla? (laughs) I was so desperate. desperate. I emailed Tesla and I said, why not try our little Nakawadra 7K from Klan to put us on the map? We're so desperate. We surely are a good case for trialing out your satellite. I didn't hear back. (laughs) You never, you never know. Well, I know. Wouldn't it be great? I mean, to, since then, actually, I we have found that so many people are in this situation, and people are just desperate to to, to be connected to, to to life, to modern life. Yeah, so and we aren't, and like, we're and we're finding that more and more people have left big cities and are happy yeah. to live rurally, yeah. much cheaper, property wise and cost of yeah. living. But they can't do it if they haven't got broadband, or they can't do it if they don't have speed. And actually, some local people have said to me that had they, not, had they known how poor the speed was, they wouldn't have moved into the area. And to be honest, I feel I felt like leaving because I thought, I really can't operate my business. This is so frustrating. I, you know, I, I'm a hands-on practitioner. I practice shiatsu and ear acupuncture. I moved my business online. I started a corporate wellness service with, my, with a friend of mine doing hands-on work and we completely moved online so we were working with people in London and Edinburgh and Paris and you know we're not alone it's people are we're just being left in the dark ages and how do kids you know the way it is now with kids and teens who need broadband and they need some sort of Wi-Fi connectivity for their Playstations uh, Netflix things like that you need it for Prime Amazon all these kind of things well it's the, the luck of the draw I mean we literally just goes, it just buffers all the time. You know, we sit down to watch something on Netflix here, for example, and it may or may not work. So we have to kind of just give up and read a book, which is also great. <laughs> but it's frustrating. And I know a neighbor down the road, her son, obviously, like a lot of teens, love gaming. And it takes half an hour to upload a game. And it's just, he's, he's not being able to connect with his peers and his friends. So it's, 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 it's affecting, you know, secondary school children, primary school children, work, those working from home, everyone. 
you would think that that would be um, very much front and centre now going forward coming out of COVID, wouldn't you, to get this sorted once and for all? I mean, in all fairness. And I think the government has the will. It's just too slow. And that's why we started campaigning to expedite the rollout because we're really desperate and a lot of young families and we'll just end up leaving. And then the schools won't have children in them. And, you know, we don't... Rural locations are great communities and the government is supporting people moving from the cities, but it's not being followed up fast enough with the services and the structure and the support. I'd love to talk to people and other people in rural areas like yourself who are also going through the same kind of grief. I mean, I I know... I, I understand where you're coming from because in the, like in the summer, say for instance in Port McGee, there are, there are pubs there and there are restaurants there and there's cafes there and there's a little, um, there's an art shop and beautiful little things yeah. in the village. But often, right, you, yeah. could, have a, you could have a jammed restaurant um, and all of a sudden the, the broadband, the fastest you would get would be 8 or 10 megs download, mm. right? Tiny yeah. speeds. But the, it would just stop. Right, it would just completely break down, which meant that the tills wouldn't work, and oh. the cre- and the credit card machines wouldn't work. Oh, so, ridiculous. on a few occasions, I've had to go back the next day to pay. But I've often wondered what happens if a tourist isn't able to yeah. come back. To, how do they pay? How or do they have to? For, a lot of people don't have cash. Yeah. And, and well, not these days, people are using cash. So you imagine the yes. grief then in a village yeah. with no broadband, and it exists. I know. I mean, fibre really is a response for rural areas and it just needs to be rolled out much more quickly. Um, it's, yeah, it is a solution. It's a simple solution. And so how often do you go to the ancient stone circle? <laughs> well, as often as I have to. I mean, I run a business, so I need to, you know, it's beautiful, it's peaceful, it's calm and it gets great. Uh, I get great connectivity up there. So, you know, it's a bit, bit more tricky if it's raining than I'd go in my car. But, um, You're yeah, getting I mean, great. Do you ever think about the fact that you're great at getting great connectivity from an ancient stone circle? I wonder why. I know. Well, there you go. <laughs> anyway, look, do stay in touch. Particularly come back to me if you hear anything back from Tesla. Okay, I will. Absolutely. Good to talk uh, to you. Stay in touch and good luck. Thank you. Thank you so much, Neil. Bye. Cheers. Take, Take care. care. Have a good day. Lines open at one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. Anybody else going through a scenario like that where you just have shocking? Imagine we're talking uh, these days now. It must be just rural areas, you know. I don't think you'd find that kind of carry on acceptable at all in city or suburban areas. No siree. Text oh eight six eight one zero four one zero six. The Neil Prendival Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday. Eighteen fifty one zero four one zero six. Yes, indeed. Troubling times here. Like a lot of people, my boyfriend uh, took to working out and doing weights the past year, particularly during lockdown. He used to go to the gym before, but over the past fourteen months, he's been working out excessively. He looks totally different now as to what he was a year ago. He said that he had goals to become a bodybuilder and to do one of those shows, bodybuilding shows, competition. I asked him if he wouldn't, as I know there's a lot of stress involved getting the ideal body for this type of show, but he won't listen. He's now working out in his friend's homemade gym. And when he comes home in the evenings, he's either high or has mood swings. I don't think these highs or mood swings are anything to do with illegal drugs, however, but I do think it's steroids. I'm looking back at old photos and his body has changed dramatically in such a short period of time. Are there any telltale signs if someone's using such products that I should be aware of? 
I'm afraid to confront him as we haven't been getting on well of late and I'm afraid if I do and he doesn't take it well, he will end our relationship. I hope that some of your listeners or maybe if you share it online also, your followers will see this and offer some advice. Love the show. And that's an email that came in to Neil at uh, redfm.ie. Your thoughts are welcome on that. In fact, I think I may a little later on take professional advice on this on your behalf and ask somebody who uh, is involved in the type of gym work that maybe your partner, your boyfriend is doing uh, and might be able to tell us what the signs would be or the damage that's done by steroids or people who are bulking up. So thank you for that. If there are people listening that can help and give advice, please do so. Email neil at redfm.ie. Uh, or text 0868104106 and I'll revisit it again in the morning. I promise you that. Uh, just a, one or two calls because I do want to mark the 40th anniversary of the death of Bobby Sands who died on hunger strike at the Mays Prison Long Kesh on the 5th of May 1981. More on that in a, in a few minutes time. If you can recall like I do 40 years ago today um, it was a very very tense and very different world country and indeed city we lived on in this day 40 years ago. I remember it like as if it was a lot less than 40 years ago. Uh, so more on that, but just one or two calls ahead of that. John, good morning. Morning, Neil. Uh, have you been vaccinated, pal? No. Okay. Uh, are you on a list? Are you, did you call the hotline or anything like that? No, it was offered. Did you refuse? Absolutely. Okay. On what basis? It's an experimental drug. It's only got the title vaccine to get it out to the general public. Even the makers told you it was a, an exper- experimental drug, which I can't understand. Like, why why did the government go with a complete rollout to the people in the country when there was a 99.97 recovery rate from this virus? Now, we have a situation at the moment now to see that they're being told that the good outweighs the, the problems, but... <clears throat> which uh, the people who are pushing this, what I want to ask them is, which one of their family would they nominate or which one of their friends would they nominate to be the problem? As in the risk of the clotting or the side effects? Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. well right. Norway are after being very responsible. They've taken the AstraZeneca completely off the, off the, the program. And Denmark has now stopped uh, giving Johnson & Johnson. For the same reasons, because they're not happy with the, the fallout that's coming from them. Now, we, uh, but is that to more to do with pressure, really, than actual well, well, medical science? Well, 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 what about the pressure here? We have the government here telling people morning, noon, and night that uh, you have to be vaccinated. You have to be vaccinated. You can't wake. You can't open your eyes in the morning in this country. And all you're hearing is about vaccination. You know that you don't have to get the vaccine. You know that nobody will ever force you. <laughs> Ah, yeah, but you see, there are, the, the people are being coerced into they They've tried all the different uh, ways that they could. They tried it with the young nurses because the young nurses had no backup and then it fails because uh, of the public outcry. Look, this, there's something seriously wrong with, with, this, uh, with this experimental drug. And people are not... Yeah, I know you that. keep saying experimental drug, but you do know that it was cleared through all clinical trials. It was cleared by um, uh, the European Medical Agency. It's also been cleared, many of them, and they're going through the process, I think, yeah. of Johnson and America now through the FDA. Yeah, yeah, but the FDA now are having a problem in America as well about, uh, about it. 
Uh, but what? Uh, which, yeah, which, but which, like, which, look at look which at is, which is news I got from a couple of my friends in the may, maybe there. maybe I don't know maybe so I don't know wait, take your word wait, for that. But look at India. Wait, look at India with a, look at India without a vaccine without oxygen. Yeah, yeah well, we we we'll, we'll talk about India at a later date because those facts still are not uh, not coming out either. Now, uh, you talk, you spoke about the European Medical Association there. Well. Uh, AstraZeneca changed their name on the 25th of March to Vax Severia through the European Medical Agency. And <clears throat> there was obviously a reason for it. Don't know. That wasn't, that, wasn't widely, that wasn't widely published and the people weren't informed of it. But why, why, does that, why does that matter? I mean, these are, they're not illegal drugs on the market. No, 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 no they're not. But if you have a product that's supposed uh, uh, allegedly one hundred percent, and to selling like hotcakes, mm. uh, uh, why would you change the name? Of it? Don't know. I have no idea as yeah, to why well, that happened. Well, well, you see, there you go. Then you then you had Emirate uh, Biosolutions in the states who were working on behalf of Johnson and Johnson, who were not uh, registered uh, right. to I, be I, anywhere near okay. us. What, what? Okay, okay, fair enough. But what? What if you were given a choice as to which one you felt was safe? Would you then take it, or do you think that that would be easier on people? No, it does. As opposed to someone saying, you can only take the AstraZeneca if you don't go to the back of the queue. Well, maybe that's not fair. Yeah, but why, why are they still pushing something that the, the Norwegian and the Danish government have, have facts and figures on, and our government are not relaying this message to the people? Mm. Mm. Now, we, we're on to the same thing now again. They gave it to people in nursing homes. Tell me... These people now, God bless them and God rest them, uh, who weren't in full control of their facilities and, and, and mentally, who did they give permission to, to give this drug to them? Was it, was, did a member of their family sign off? I would imagine so. I would imagine well, so. Yeah. Well, well, I, well, I would hope so because... I'm quite sure there are people yeah. in nursing homes who are compass mentors to make up their own minds oh, as yeah. well. But, yeah. but, but even if there's one who wasn't and they, and this, this, and they were given this... And and uh, and it became a fatality. They have another problem now. What? They have a bigger problem coming down the line. That's that's genocide. You can't inject people who are not uh, in, in control of their, their, their faculties. You're uh, you're not killing them though. No. <laughs> well, they were healthy enough. They got the injection, aren't they? What? I mean, like. Uh, well, I mean, let, let me put it to you like this. I, I don't know. I don't know the side effects of people who have been. Yeah. If, if your mother and father were uh, okay for three weeks uh, leading up to their darkness and, and they were dead uh, a week later, would you be coming to any conclusion? Like, uh, yeah, I would. I'd, need to, I'd want to see yeah. the evidence as to what killed them for sure. Yeah but, yeah, but there's been no evidence because there's been no autopsies and no inquests. Yeah, but I'm not hearing of people dying from the vaccine. Are you? I mean, seriously, are you? Did Did you see that anywhere? Well, well, I've 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 got I've gotten. Uh, uh, you, about it. you know of yeah. someone who was elderly who yeah, yeah. got the vaccine well, he, and died? Well, well, he was only fifty odd. He was a health worker. He was forced to. Forced All right, well, don't don't get too personal. Yeah. But you're, you're saying no, he, was, he, was, no, he was he was his mother's he was his mother's killer, and and uh, what you call us? He he. He 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 died. Uh, what you call it? Went three days, three days of getting it. Now, are you telling me so that of all the people who have been injected across the world, nobody has died from it? I don't. I don't know. I just being honest with you. But, just, but sure, this is it. Nobody seems to know what's going on with this. But it's been forced. All I'm all I'm saying to you, 
at the end of the day is that it's people's choice. You can choose not to be vaccinated and those that want to take it, pick up the phone and call for it. Yeah, yeah, but why why then were health workers after losing their job because they're... No, they're just being... I hear tell this morning they'll be reassigned to different jobs. No, 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 no. I, I, I spoke with a man on Saturday. He lost his job because he refused to take it. Okay, well, give me a bit more information well, no, off-air on that. And look, well, look, look, anything I'm telling you is factual. It's it's not an open miss. I've got information from the people. I, I just need to get more information off-air if you are now suggesting to me that a member of staff of the HSE got sacked for not taking the vaccine. I would like to hear some more about it. Okay. All right. Let's find out off the air. Okay. Okay. I'll I'll tell you what I do. I'll make contact with him and I'll ask him, uh, is he prepared to to talk to you on a one-to-one and you can swap phone numbers? Do that, would you? Appreciate it, John. Of course. Come back to me, pal. And thanks thanks for the time. All right, brother. Thank you. Lines open at 1850-104-106. I'll come back to that. Right. Just uh, just one or two before I leave you. I want to go out on a bit on Bobby Sands and a song, if you don't mind. Donna, good morning. Hi, Neil. How are you? You see, I thought that they were going to put in some sort of a uniform rule that all maternity hospitals must be on the same page. Is, has that not happened, no? As far as I know, no, it hasn't. Um, I think Dublin is different to Cork. Um, I think there's loads of different policies in different places. I read know? that about three weeks ago, that they were going to make it a uniform policy in all maternity hospitals. They were supposed to, but I don't think there's been anything kind of done in the meantime about it. So if you're having a baby now in the CUMH, what happens? So I had Grace, about, she's 14 weeks old, so I had Grace 14 weeks ago. And like that, I was induced. So I went in the Sunday night on my own, uh, dropped off at the door, and then um, you get induced or whatever. And then it's only when you're in active labour that yeah. your partner can come in. Yeah. So obviously he came in whatever time and then she was born and you can hang around then for about an hour and then you're off up to the ward um, on your own for however long you need to stay in for. Okay, but are there any designated times then when your partner can come in to visit? No, not that time. There is talks that there is supposed to be a designated time, but that time there wasn't any. There was no visitors in or out at all. If you wanted anything, they could drop something to the front door and um, kind of leave it there in the porch and bring it up, you know. But in the rotunda, they have visits, don't they? They have, as far as I know. They have an hour, an hour in the evening or or two. Daily. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. 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 Um, Yeah. And that is in a county where they have... An awful lot more COVID cases than we would have. Absolutely. Do you know, I suppose the only thing is, like, they're protecting the babies of the world. They're our future. I know it's horrible and I know I know it's really daunting. And before, I suppose, I went in, I would have been really nervous about the thought of being three or four days on my own inside. And, and how was it for you, the three or four days on your own? Do you know what? It was the most relaxing three days that I've had. You know, because I suppose it was just me and Grace. I have another three kiddies at home, so I knew I was going home to kind of a busy lifestyle. So you could just sit there, bond with your baby, and not have streams and streams of visitors in. Definitely partners should be. Well, maybe not streams and streams of visitors, but the email that I have here says that it would take the pressure off overworked staff if the partner, or as they call it, the nominated contact could be in. Like, is there work needs doing in the three or four days that you're in there? Um, like I didn't need anything they come in with pain relief and other than that I didn't need anything if I did they would have been absolutely no problem getting it do you know what I mean yeah. they're, they're very accommodating but is and it, they okay. alright but is know? it not is it not lonely or isolating 
An hour um, a day, in all fairness, is not much to ask. It is, it is isolating, but I suppose like that, having three at home, I knew this was my chance to, to have a bit of bonding time with Grace or whatever. But like that, it was. The loneliest part, I thought, is that you're waiting for your partner to come in before everything kind of kicks off for real, you know. Um, you yeah. kind of want them there yeah. that time, I think, you know, yeah. because obviously you that's your partner and you just want to be able to share and, your fears. And that's and the lead, that's the early stages of labour. I just would have thought that a first time mums after a long labour or, or a C-section could need help with the baby. You know, stressful first time mums as well. You know? You'd be worn out and, and, and also imagine in pain. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely first time mum. I think it's awful for them. I suppose, look, it's my fourth time around. I know kind of what to expect. There's always that fear that something is going to go wrong or something's going to be wrong with the baby or whatever. There's a fear and you want your partner there for that. But certainly with scans and everything for first time parents, I think it's absolutely cruel that they're not left in to see their baby and, you know, to, to be part of that experience, you know. Yeah, I, I hope it has changed. Um, I think it might be, if not, it will very soon. I think that they're putting in a plan in the CUMH for one hour per day, and it may already have come into place, I'm told, which is great if it has. Absolutely. I think there's an app. There's an app, isn't there? App and yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. This, okay. You know? I'll pick up on it tomorrow, but thank you so much for your own contribution, and congratulations on baby number four. Baby number four, baby Grace. Baby Grace. Great name. Take care. Thanks, Donna. Thanks, Cheers. I think there is an app, and I'm hearing now that um, you can visit for one hour per day. Uh, apparently, there is an app that's just launched. Um, so maybe it's becoming more uniform across the country as opposed to something that was happening in Dublin and not happening in other, C- other, other hospitals, including the CMH. But apparently, it is changing. It may have already changed. I believe it probably has. So I'll come back to that in the morning. I see text coming in it already. Text 0868104106. Um, I mentioned just a few minutes ago, that it was on this day, the 5th day of May 1981, that Bobby Sands, who, while on hunger strike, actually was uh, elected as an MP north of the border, he died on hunger strike in the Mays prison uh, in Long Cash back in 1981 on this day. And for those of you that will recall it, uh, I'm sure you'll share with me and agree with me that there was an awful lot of tension in the country all through the hunger strikes. Uh, And front and centre of that was, of course, Margaret Thatcher. Um, and uh, it was a showdown, actually, really, wasn't it, between, say, the hunger strikers and those in the Republican movement and Thatcher, because she saw the hunger strikers as criminals and not as political prisoners, as they wanted to be recognised as. Um, and so within Long Kesh, they were looking for five demands, and the demands included the right to wear their own clothes as political prisoners. They wanted to be seen as political prisoners the right to wear their own clothes, the right not to do prison work, the right to free association with other prisoners, and indeed the right to visits. Uh, She said no, no, no to all of those. Um, They also wanted the right to one letter and one parcel per week. She said no, no, no to all of those. Then we had, of course, the dirty protests that went on through the 70s, actually, that was the, the blanket and the dirty protest. But to the hunger strikes of, of uh, 1981, there was more than just uh, Bobby Sands who actually passed away. All told, Bobby Sands was the first um, 66 days on hunger strike, started on the first day of March. And he was followed by others who all perished. They all died. Bobby Sands, Francis Hughes, Raymond McCreesh, Patsy O'Hara, Joe McDonald, Martin Herson, Kevin Lynch, Kieran Doherty, Thomas McElwee 
and Michael Devine. And I recall that day, actually, I worked on a pirate radio station on Parnell Place at the time, uh, Radio City. Uh, and I remember being in the city and when it was announced on this day 40 years ago that Bobby Sands had died, uh, clearly people were very sad and very upset but very angry, and it was a very tense time. In fact, I recall 40 years ago uh, that the nuns in the convent in Passage West um, had black flags out the windows, and I believe as the hunger strikers were dying on this day and the days forward, uh, up until the 20th of August, actually, um, that they would bring the students in Passage West to Mass. These were the nuns to mark the passing of, of the hunger strikers. But their ages, I mean, Bobby Sands was 27. Um, and they were all aged between 23 and, uh, and, and 29. So they were all in their 20s. And it was awfully, awfully sad. Um, you may recall it. It was 40 years ago today that Bobby Sands passed away. And I thought it might be fitting to play a song out and just remember uh, those events of, of 40 years ago. God, it just doesn't feel like 40 years ago. And there were many songs written about it, and of course, poems and books, and God knows how many documentaries. But this is a live version. I love this version of North and South of the River because it's live firstly, and not only shows the talent of Christy Moore, and we, we love Christy Moore, I know we all do, but also the mega-talented guitar work of Declan Sinnott. to Neil Printerville now. 1851 Red FM. Finally, I see some more texts coming in on Bobby Sands and other people talking about particular songs that they think might be fitting. Feel free to text, particularly if you recall 40 years ago today. Text 0868 I'll come back to it in the morning. Quick shout out for our daughter Kira Quinn who celebrates her 23rd birthday today. Instead of celebrating, she'll have to do 17,000 steps as herself and her sister Emer are walking a million steps between them for the month of May to raise funds for Marymount. Well done. Thanks from our mum, dad and sister Esther. So, in spite of all the walking, take some time out to celebrate some kind of a birthday today, Kira. Happy birthday. Have a good day. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to this Red FM podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and check out redextra.ie for more great Red FM content.